That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, Batman and DC podcast with no limits. This is our first episode back for 2019, and we are we are definitely making it a good one. We're going to get the roundtable out of the way. We've got the Bat Force Times from New York. When I'm in Samoa, I cut my own pillow. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and there's uh, commenting on Asuela there is Grandpa Batman from Texas. Howdy. We've got Bat Force Tom from California. And I am Robert Cross, the Canadian one. So tonight we are joined by a gentleman whose work we've all been enjoying for years now. Back before the New 52 and everything that that brought. You've seen this guy's work in the pages of Batman. He was the artist on Under the Hood, which was adapted into Under the Red Hood, which introduced the return of Jason Todd as the Red Hood. Uh, He was one of the early co-creators of The Mask. He's worked with uh, Grant Morrison on Final Crisis, Jeff Johns on Green Lantern as Blackest Night was happening, and now he is working uh, with an old uh, with an old friend, uh, Peter Tomasi on Detective Comics. We are joined tonight by Mr. Doug Mankey, and I really think that you came. But uh, thank you so much for making the time to join us. Uh, how's life these days? <laughs> Sick. Uh, <laughs> Hey, it's a new it's a new year, and <clears throat> doing the same thing I did last year and the year before, et cetera, et cetera. So, <laughs> and bear with me, I'm gonna cough a lot. Yeah, uh, I'll give us a right there with you. We're having a, a bizarre dance back and forth between winter and summer over here right now. So, yeah, we had 44 degrees here in Minnesota in January, which is totally unusual. Uh, just drawing comics at a, at a feverish pace right now. And, and lifting a lot of weights, as anyone can see from your Instagram. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, that's what I do when I'm not in the chair. But that, that's okay. got to be something that uh, that sort of physical activity, uh, do you find that that gives you more physical longevity? Because uh, we, we see with a lot of artists who spend years sitting in the chair, leaning over a desk, just working away. Does that, uh, those breaks of physical activity, uh, do you feel that your body holds up longer? Um, I guess we'll find out. I mean, I'm not young. Um, you know, give me <laughs> another two years and I'll be able to answer the question. But probably, um, I'm a really physical guy who has an incredibly sedentary job. And I do think that it probably keeps my back, my neck, hips, you know, all the stuff that tends to really take a beating from years of sitting. You know, so I do, you know, I, I'm, I'm strong in all the right places that, that generally uh, somebody who sits for a living would be weak. So... Yeah, it's got to be good for me as far as the uh, amount of time I spend in the desk. So it, I don't know if it has the ability to overcome the sheer magnitude of hours that I work. But it's I'm giving it a shot. I've been I've been 
really active and training with weights for most of my life. And then what I do now, I, for the last 17 years, has been Olympic lifting, which is overhead stuff. Nice. So you uh, you were mentioning off air that you uh, are working on a twice monthly book right now. Yep. Where it's expected that uh, you get a five week. Is it a five week uh, head start with before things start publishing? Oh, you said. I mean, we had we had. I'm not really sure when we started. It was in the summer, and you know when I got the first script, and um, it's just been go ever since. Man. I mean, we got a nice lead to it. If you were to look, if if we had launched. With as many issues as we had in the bag, we would, Pete and I would feel really good about it. Well, more so me. Pete can write a lot faster than I can draw. And, you know, Jaime is, I don't know if Jaime can ink quite as fast as I can do a page. But we're just, I'm just watching it evaporate in front of my eyes <laughs> as we roll, roll towards issue 1000. Well, the first two issues that have come out um, were monstrous, man. Looking oh, great. Yeah, they were. Well, it's a roller coaster ride, a lot of fun, and obviously some emotional stuff that was that was uh, probably it, it hit the right beats, and um, I think we effectively did it. And uh, if the fans are responding in the right way, then I guess we did our job. You know, I, I really like it when I can, you know, when the script says one thing, but if I can pull it off, you know, visually, emotionally, that's that's something else entirely. I think there's a couple of things that that have, uh, you know, the detective. Uh, title has had a few different uh, people kind of um, cycling through it but when it was announced that you and uh, Pete Tomasi were going to be on it I think I think that was at San Diego everyone went nuts uh, really? just because oh, of oh yeah the response I think online and amongst fans was very very big uh, especially for us you know we were excited knowing that th the things you guys have already done knowing what you can bring to the table but even all that I I personally wasn't expecting to be I wasn't expecting this stuff to be as, as crazy and hard hitting as it was like right out of the gate, you know, a lot of big things happening, a lot of changes and a lot of, uh, characters having, a um, very significant changes. Um, let's say, and, uh, I mean, it's just like, it started out with a big, huge bang. So what was that like getting those, uh, scripts in and kind of talking to him about that and then thinking of how you would translate that to your art? Well, it was pretty obvious from the get go as I, as I, as the first script came in that, <laughs> Pete was asking for a lot to happen within one issue. Um, and it, when you sit down and you, you realize all the work that you do to, to, to create 20 pages of, of comic book and it, it, out of my hands, it feels like a lot, you know, we have all this action and excitement and stuff that, that is, um, propelling it forward. And then you finally get in your hands and it looks great and it, and it reads really quick. <laughs> So even though I know that, you know, a lot happened, the pace of the first two stories, you know, you, I mean, if we look at it time-wise, it's, it's really quick, you know, it's, it's, it opens up with, it, with a really nice moody scene, but, you know, right away it switches gears and, you know, gets into, gets into what happens later on in the book. And so we really just have two, two events that occur and, what you know maybe you know we're covering 30 minutes worth of time there or 45 or something um and, and then the next issue is not much different you know we're really being propelled quickly through the story even though to me it feels like i did a lot storytelling wise to realize what a quick turn especially 995 was it's like well you know this just hits hard and it goes quick and um, it has some really cool stuff that Pete stuck in there. 
Um, I, I couldn't even tell you what was my favorite parts of it, uh, other than <laughs> several of them, you know. Yeah. And the no. next issue is the same. I mean, it, it's got some it, issue 994, you know, powerful. 995, same. 996, it's going to be the same, you know. Um, it has the same kind of uh, uh, frenetic and, and, and pulsing feel to it. At this point, I think we can go, you know, full spoilers on the the two issues that are out, you know. So let's, <gasps> to get uh, fully in effect here, right? so yeah, your your arc starts off. Issue one, something major happens with Leslie. Issue right. two, we've got something major happening with Alfred. So you you guys didn't waste any time. It's a, it's a fast paced story. Things start happening happening immediately and just keep happening. Right, and Batman is pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the end of uh, this past week's issue, uh, or it just cuts off with uh, Batman pulling a Rorschach sort of, you know, the, that moment in Watchmen where he's in the jail and he says, I'm not stuck in here with you, you're stuck in here with me. You know, he shuts oh, off the lights and uh, that's a, a chilling ending and we can't yeah. wait for the next. Yeah, you know. really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you were just mentioning how much is in the first, actually the first two issues, yeah. That second issue, you got you got the rooftop. You're with Leslie Tompkins. You're at you're at Wayne Manor. Then you're in at the very end. You're at Arkham Asylum. You're, you're going crazy, like yeah, as much as you're jamming in these first two issues. It's it's awesome. Um, something else that we've heard specifically about the Batman story behind it is that you're drawing like a such a classic Batman story. Like yeah. you're in Gotham City. There's Commissioner Gordon, Leslie Tompkins, Alfred. There's been a lot of events and crazy things that are out, you know, out of this world. But I think people have really been like wanting for a uh, gritty ground level Batman story. And you guys are delivering that for sure. Well, so far, so good. Another thing I really appreciate about your art is that you're really diligent when it comes to uh, detail, especially with backgrounds. I noticed little things like Gotham City or even the way you drew Arkham Asylum when he's at the desk and there's all those books in the background. I noticed like some artists... I mean, they rotate many in and out, and some of them you could tell that they kind of skimp on the backgrounds, and maybe it's a deadline thing, but when I was going through your work, um, you got so much work out there, but I was going through these past two issues, it's just, it's a, it's a visual treat for a comic book reader, for a seasoned comic book reader, and, uh, you know, I really, you know, we appreciate that, that, that work you put in. I mean, you know, strangers to the game, but... uh it's yeah. um you know it's really enjoyable to look at but you know i want to use that as a segue because uh, our show gets a lot of new uh listeners in terms of young people as well that are getting new into comic books would um yeah. could you take us through your journey uh, uh become well, you know getting yep. into art and becoming a comic book artist and in the industry and so on and so forth I started reading comics at about age five or six um and that's that was my first exposure to them i'd already been drawing i was a little kid who liked drawing I drew dinosaurs just like any other little boy. I know that uh, like once my grandmother asked me if I could draw anything nice, and um, <laughs> so I, I drew her some a ladybug. I mean, that's the nicest thing I could think of was a bug that was you know like harmless. Um, but then when I got comics, the first thing I wanted to do, other than be a comic book artist, was be a superhero. Uh, and this is totally true. Uh, I've I've done interviews before where I've talked about it. Uh, I wanted to be a superhero. I thought it was a coolest thing ever and a little kid i i i wanted to be a superhero so i, I created a superhero called soap man and i got two <laughs> I, I got two plastic bottles spray bottles or um squeeze bottles and i filled them with soap and i 
and I had a cape and I taped them to my wrists. And, and this was after seeing Spider-Man. I mean, reading Spider-Man. That was my first real introduction to Spider-Man, Spider-Man and Hulk. And I, I was, you know, at six, you just can't find much crime in the area that I lived in, in Pullman, Washington. And uh, I, I literally walked around the neighborhood with a cape and these, these bottles and, and could find no criminals. Um, so I, I hung up being a, a caped crusader, you know, pretty quickly. But I, I love comics and I just started drawing characters right away. Um, it's sitting and drawing was pretty much the only way my mother could get me to sit and, and, and relax and pay attention. Uh, you know, like most of the boys, I was super busy, but I could be extremely focused, especially when I was drawing. Um, fast forward a bunch of years, and, and the idea of doing comics kind of came, I, I collected regularly. Um, I, I, uh, I had not an impressive collection, but a friend and I, we we tended to raise raid what back then was the dime and, uh, you know, like ten cent, the 10 cent box and a uh, 15 cent box or something at this place called Hobbit House that was in um, uh, Prairie Village, Kansas. And, uh, you know, just read comics, drew this and that. Used to want to still be a comic book artist, but um, didn't really know how to go about it. Didn't know much about it. Kind of fell away from the whole idea. I think I may have sent in a portfolio once when I was maybe 17, but it was terrible. Um <laughs> And then just a series of events. I'd actually been um, not sure what to do. Who did you send your portfolio to? It was probably Marvel, I would guess. But I, I don't even, it was sequential, but it wasn't like a comic book page. It was more like strip art out of, uh, out of a um, newspaper. You know, I didn't even have a format down. You'd think that it would like sink in after reading comic books for all those years. <laughs> and I would know what to do and i only read marvel comics i i owned only one dc comic at the time it wasn't like a built a, a bias that i created the guy who got me started he was this guy who went to washington state university he played rugby and collected comics and he rented a room for my parents and he just he just collected marvel so that's the only thing i really knew about right you know, that's where all my comics came from and so that was my that's what i identified I mean, I knew about stuff like Batman, but to me, you know, Batman was a, a something I saw on TV. You know, it wasn't comic book. And so, going back to, you know, fast forward to about I'm in my twenties and I still just kind of knocking around, not sure what I was going to do. I put aside the idea of uh, comics for a while. Then it got back in my head a um, couple times. One time, uh, I actually put a, a new portfolio together and and uh, took a bus all the way out to New York. But I got as far as the Catskills and ran out of money. So I knew at least um, you don't go into New York City without a dime in your pocket. You know, I just wasn't going to do that. I was a sensible person and just went back home. Well, uh, a couple more years later, I'd, I'd been um, educated as a machinist, wasn't finding any work found some sort of peripheral work uh, as, a, as an artist, fell into t-shirt painting uh, with an airbrush. And around that time, I, I, I worked at a, a place in Northern California, not California, uh, Northern Illinois, uh, Six Flags, which was at the time Great America. Um, and in the Chicago Strip, they had, uh, that, that was during like the, the boom years of comics. Um, which may, I don't know how old you guys are, but you know, that was like the image revolution and all that stuff. 
uh, late 80s, very early 90s, right before everything sort of tanked. You know, in other words, the speculator market, all the stuff. We had so many retailers. Comics were selling huge. So, of course, they were making the newspaper and they were talking about uh, just how successful comic books were. And I thought, oh, yeah, maybe <laughs> I you know, I mean, literally, that was just my thought. I was like, okay, now's the time, you know, really focus on it. And so I did. Uh, I hadn't read uh, a Marvel comic in a while. I'd, I'd read some other stuff. Uh, it wasn't that I had, like, purposefully avoided Marvel, but the, I didn't have a collection. I'd sold off my collection, so the people around me had, um, like, a friend of mine had ABC Warriors, or I was reading, like, uh, the Hernandez Brothers books, and Love and Rockets and this and that. So really what was going on in comics at the time in the mainstream, I wasn't too aware of. Um, but I still put a, a portfolio together. It's actually on my Instagram and it, you can find it. I, I put it up and it was kind of an eclectic portfolio. It, it featured no you know, real superheroes, but it, there are some splash pages and some decent sequential work, uh, which I inked and... Um, you know, I, I had a storytelling sense, um, which I certainly didn't have earlier in my life. And sent it, since I was still ignorant of the process, I sent it to Marvel, DC, and Dark Horse. I sent it to their, um, let's see, um, the art uh, art editors. The, uh, I can't think of the right name for it. It wasn't the editors that I sent it to. I sent it to, uh, like, the art department. Um and so probably it ended up in the trash can, I'm guessing, at both Marvel and DC, whether anybody looked at it at all. But at Dark Horse, which was a smaller company, uh, it got open and passed around and got a call from Randy Stradley, um, hmm. editor. And he said, you know, we'd like you to work for us. We don't know on what yet, but, you know, give us, give us until the fall and we'll think of something. And I was, um, I was engaged to be married at the time, so I did another... Uh, I did another um, uh, time out at the amusement park, painting T-shirts, doing caricatures. And then two weeks before I got married, I started drawing comics. You know, so I, I always know the, the date or how long I've been in comics by how long I've been married. Um, so the, what I ended up doing, what they did was uh, John Arcudi, uh, a new writer, had gone to uh, the offices at, in, in Portland at, uh, at Dark Horse and he picked me out of a file for a project that he wanted to do. It was called Homicide. And um, it was about this um, weathered old homicide detective named Ford and his sidekick, Guzman, and it showed up in the pages of Dark Horse Presents. And when I got that first script, you know, it was like, oh, God. It, it was <laughs> superheroes. It was like, it was just like, it was a story about an old detective. Um, and I just remember like the inertia at first of trying to get going on this, this project, but, you know, eventually I, I, I put my, myself in the chair, it took me forever to draw this first, like eight or 10 pages of comic that showed up in Dark Horse Presents, but I did it. And that started a relationship between John Arcudi and I. And I learned a lot from John. Um, he was an exceptionally good comic book, specifically comic. Like when you got a script from John, it didn't read like um, it didn't read like a movie script. He broke everything down. 
He was he was aware of continuity of panels. So a lot of stuff that I do in comics to this day is stuff that I really could attribute to basically the education I got from John Arcudi on what's important in, in comic book storytelling. Uh, and John and I worked together for about six years at Dark Horse, and that's where we um, we got involved in the mask. Dark Horse had released it as a much more avant-garde story, M-A-S-Q-U-E, and they retooled it. And John and I, you know, we did what we did. We created a, a character that uh, was pretty successful at Dark Horse. And uh, Jim Carrey can thank us greatly for his his launching the stardom via the mask movie. Uh, um, but that's that's uh, that's what the t- the primary stuff that I did at Dark Horse. Then at Dark Horse, eventually we did a uh, a mask. Lobo crossover with DC, and which was just a total blast. Uh, it was it was a, it was a, about as much fun as I could have drawing anything. It was it wasn't like work. It was just like play. Um, and then when we got done with the project, DC was the first to offer John and I an opportunity to work before Dark Horse. That's what moved me over to DC, and I've basically been at DC for about twenty five years. Worked on a lot of stuff there. I mean, I could think I did it at DC other than, you know, Lobo Mask was John Arcudi and I did a uh, uh, creator own title called Major Bomber, uh, which was edited by uh, Pete Tomasi, you know, who was at the time uh, a young editor at at, uh, at DC. And we became good friends, um, you know, from those days. And we've maintained a friendship ever since. But, you know, from there, we I think we got 15 issues of Major Bomber. Loved it. It was nothing but fun. But from there, I, I, I launched into, you know, DC proper and, and have been working there ever since. The first thing that I did there would have been um, Superman, Man of Steel. Uh, did that for a while. And, boy, the list goes on. I don't even know everything I've done. I mean, I can only speculate. Justice League. And then all of a sudden, here I'm in, you know, Detective. You know, there's a bunch of stuff in between. But... About 25 years worth of work for, uh, for DC, yeah. Not bad, not too bad. Yeah. Definitely some big stuff. Uh, you mentioned uh, The Mask, you know, some definitely something that got adapted into uh, a, a huge movie. Uh, you also worked on, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Under the Red Hood, which got adapted yep. into an animated movie. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Superman seven, versus seven, the five. Elite, that was an animated movie that uh, came from some of your work as well, I believe. Yep. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to see them. And actually, to be perfectly honest, I just watched for the first time Superman versus the Elite a few days ago. Uh, well, make it two weeks ago. Um, it, it was just been sitting around. I, I just never got around to watching it. So it was pretty neat to see it. And, you know, I mean, they, they used actually, interesting enough, the designs, excuse me, for the characters were based upon what I did in Action 775. Uh, mixed with um, the stuff I did in Justice League Elite, so it's a it's an amalgam of the two things put together, which is kind of interesting. I you know all this time I didn't know that was the case, you know. Um, so it's it, that was fun to see, but yeah, you know, going back to like you guys had mentioned, you know, the under the hood or under the red hood storyline that I did uh, did the art. So I had one year on Batman. It was just, that was one solid year of work, if I remember correctly. And I um, don't remember where I went from there. 
don't remember at all, actually. And I, <laughs> uh, but I always wanted to get back in the bad office. I always wanted to do more Batman. I, I never felt like I got to do really what I, all the things that I wanted. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool to be on detective with Pete, uh, cause Pete's wanted to, too. We've talked about this, you know, years ago, the idea of us eventually editing and ending up in, in the bad offices and to do some bad stuff. Yeah, now, um, well, here uh, we are. Pete said he wanted to do a hundred issues of detective, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a <laughs> hundred issues. So, so you're, are you ready for that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, that, that, <laughs> that could get to me to the end of my career. Um, <laughs> How daunting is that, though? A uh, hundred issues that will come out in fifty months. You got me. You got me doing, and Brad Walker both doing art chores. So, you know, for Pete to do a hundred means I might do. I mean, in the perfect world, it would be half of that. Uh, but it's going to be fun. I mean, I, I don't see why not. I, if you find a good place to call home, people like it. There's no reason to leave. I mean, that's how it was when I was on Green Lantern. I got to work with Jeff Johns, which was a great experience. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Wow. I got to do, as far as an artist contributing to his run, I did more Green Lantern than anyone else did. Um, and, you know, that was... that was That's that, a legendary run, too. That is yeah. One of the, yeah. That's one of the greatest comic book runs of all time. So that's... You got a yeah. lot of championship rings on there in the comic book. Right? <laughs> well, to be a part of that was really cool. And I really had to hit the ground running because the schedule was tough. And it was, you know, we were always just chasing our tail on that book. And four years flew by pretty quick. Yeah. You know, four years flies by when you are like struggling like crazy to get stuff done. Um, but we managed and um, I can't believe Jeff. I mean, it was a nine year production on his part, I think. When, when you work with someone like Jeff or, or yeah. Pete or anything like that, do you get any like creative input, like saying, Hey, I, I want to draw this. And then they kind of write it into the story. Or... Um, yeah. You know, probably more so these guys that you just met. I mean, Jeff, Jeff and I would talk. And, um, the thing is I, I'm, I'm a real, I don't know, a nuts and bolts artist in the sense that I want to just be given a script and I, and I want to interpret the writer's script. That's that's the first thing that I want to do. I want to see if I can do a good job of bringing what they're, what they've written to life. And you know whether or not I have ideas is totally secondary. You know they they, it's not for lack of asking me. Um, you know Pete Pete and I are going to get on the phone here pretty soon to talk about our second arc. And you know he really wants my input. You know he wants to know what do you want to do, and. You know, we talked about the first one. So, yeah, I had some input. Um, and when we were working and plotting uh, with um, Pat, you know, Gleason and, and, and Pete on Superman, um, I had a I had a pretty good hand. We all got together and we had our little mini summit. And we over the course of, I think, three days, we hammered out a significant amount of concept and plot. Um, and, you know, I was I was right in on that. As far as this stuff so far, you know, Pete asks me, I wish I could deliver, you know, we were on the phone the other day and he goes, tell me, you know, just let's get on the phone and let's, you know, let's really discuss, you know, what would you like to do? And, I, you know, I'm thinking, well, what would I like to do? <laughs> I want to draw Batman, you know? Um, I know, so but do you say like, I want to draw some 
badass Batmobiles or the Batcave or you know or certain characters or anything like that? Yeah, no, I, I do. I mean, I, I say that. Um, well, you know, one of the one of the things that I really was enjoying about the idea of working on Detective was I really like to draw. You know, I, I enjoy drawing a human beings. You know, fighting fisticuffs versus metahumans. Not that I don't enjoy somebody who can blow up the earth, you know, with their fists, but um, it's a, it's I, I get to handle certain kinds of things differently. Like one of the when I think of my original Batman run, my my very last issue of Batman. I don't remember the number, but it's it's the Black Mask and and he's fighting the Red Hood, you know, then you find it's actually not Jason, you know, I don't know. It was too bad. Cause the guy really fought well. But I really enjoyed that kind of uh, choreography. You know, I, I enjoyed drawing the fight and making it as real as I could on a, on a human level. Um, so that's something that I've looked forward to, you know, with Detective. Ironically, you know, we've got some big monster in there who's obviously more powerful than than batman the rally is you know batman fights with his with his technology and his and his fists and his feet and his martial arts experience so that's something i was really looking forward to you know pete already knows that and so i, I really I, I i shouldn't disappoint him when we get on the phone and i shouldn't just say pete i got nothing you know hopefully i'll come up with something totally uh totally useful and that he can take away and uh you know we can we can build some story with in your most recent detective comic work you know you you mentioned you really like you know the action scenes and stuff like that but i i've really enjoyed you know kind of the scenes where you you build the more human element like especially that scene where batman you know he's he's got the duplicate right thomas and and martha and that that one panel where it's like batman looking directly down on his you know what his father would have looked like yep. dead i mean that panel right there i was just like wow just take the words away from it and i would just that one panel right there made that story for me oh thanks no yeah. it was, uh, I, I really that opening sequence i worked hard on it and you know it should have been impactful and as much as you know batman is trying to be indifferent you know he almost messes up you know as, as people wrote into the script you know his the words that he used, um, uh, you know, he tripped on his words momentarily. And yeah. So it's, it, it was a really effective scene and that's the kind of yeah. thing that Pete's really good at writing. Now having a career, you know, almost 30 years or 30 years. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned you pretty much, you know, like to get a script from a writer. I'm, I'm kind of in, interested in the process myself, you know, that's, I really like to get in the nuts and bolts and and look behind the curtain when I talk to you know awesome creators like yourself. Um, do you like a loose script or do you like like a real detailed panel by panel, page by page, with full dialogue type of script? Arcudi gave me full scripts. I mean, it was it was in, they were as detailed as they needed to be. They they provided camera direction. Um, and the words were there, which were helpful because you know how much room you have to work with on a panel, how much you really need to leave. Um, you know, these days it's not unusual for the writer to, you know, to give you a, just a little bit. And then they then they retrofit, you know, their thoughts 
uh, you know, depending on how much space you've kind of given them. And with Pete and I, you know, he's given a, a kind of like an in-between. He puts some of the words, some of the, you know, some of the essential elements. And, but then there might be a series of, for example, let's see, in, in the, the most current issue, there was a, a series of pages. And he said, I want you to hit these beats, but the rest is up to you. Obviously, it had somebody with a fight. Um, so I had a series of pages and then, you know, I become the one who decides what goes on there and how to do it. And, um, you know, then it's me. I, I don't mind doing that. I can't mm-hmm. say it's faster. It's definitely not faster because all of a sudden I'm thinking about it. Even if I want to changes, if I'm given, if I'm given, um, script and, you know, I can kind of make an executive, you know, like choice regarding, you know, panel to panel for conflict, um, that's easy. You know, that's fighting. Uh, but when you have to think about it yourself, it actually does take me a little bit more time versus something that is already more or less in place. And then I can play with it. Uh, as far as something like something much more delicate, the opening scene, for instance, of 994, um, that, you know, Pete, Pete very carefully, like, you know, laid that all out. He provided the information so that it was because it, it was a lot to do anyway to try to pull it off. And, you know, what did it need to do? Um, so I, I, I didn't add. I didn't subtract. I just did my best to tell the story. Yeah. As far as other writers, it, it just varies, you know. Yeah. Um, some guys, uh, like Joe Kelly, when I worked with him quite a bit, who did, you know, just uh, when we did JLA and um, Justice League Elite, Joe is much more like uh, moving in the script. It's almost like he's describing a movie, you know. He, he breaks down panels, but he also, some, you know, like he'll provide a lot of what is going on, you know. <laughs> Uh, so things are somewhat at like an extended scene in one panel, you know, so then I have to be a bit of an editor to figure out, well, what is important here? How do we get the elements that he wants and still pull all this off? Uh, so that's one kind. And he, he was a good writer, um, but uh, not not as much like the like a John Arcudi, who's like purely comics. Um, you know, John wasn't writing cinematically. He's writing sequentially, completely. And then uh, Jeff, Jeff is um, a pretty full script, you know, when he, when he, when he had the time for it, you know, cause he was wearing two hats, you know, right. he was an executive at DC. He was also writing incredibly busy man. Right. Um, so most of it was well scripted. Uh, then guys like Grant Morrison, you get like way more than you at times that you ever bargained for, you know, it's like an astonishing amount of, of stuff and you realize that well he's just talking you know he's he's just giving me background this actually doesn't show up in the story you know he just he like he's he's telling me things about parallel worlds or i don't know just all kinds of uh interesting stuff <laughs> i'd he's, love to read one of his scripts i'm sure they're crazy oh they are <laughs> the only time that it wasn't like that i mean i i worked with him you know not a lot but yeah. we've done several things together yeah. Uh, when we did Frankenstein, um, uh, Seven Soldiers Frankenstein, that was like straightforward 1960s, 70s comic book like fun. 
Huh. It was so simple. I, unlike what I got when I was like totally under the gun at final for final crisis, yeah. which was uh, just one hell of uh, an experience. Um, that was, that was different. I used to, I used to get these scripts and, and they were, he was turning in pages. They hadn't even seen the whole script yet. I mean, he kept adding to the story and you mm. know, they, they kept expanding. <laughs> and that's why they, they had me do it was they knew that because they, they finally had a deadline. They knew they had to get this book out. Yeah. And then just, they said, can you do this? And I was like, I, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. I, I didn't, <laughs> it's like, I like a challenge, so I would do it. So the scripts were incredibly dense and complicated. And I used to get on the uh, the phone with Adam Schlagman, who was the assistant editor, and we would talk for hour, maybe two sometimes, you know, just trying to dissect what it was that Morris <laughs> wanted. You know, and then we then sometimes it was, yeah, I think it's this, you know. And and really it, it did work out, but it was the I it's on my old computer. I should I should look and see if I still have the script to Final Crisis because it was something else. Huh. That's, that's yeah, crazy. yeah. Like when you see what ended up on the, you know, it ended up just you know it's because it's still you know like the pages turn and you can read a comic, but the the density of the script was mind boggling. Uh, Grant's uh, Grant's final product uh, tends to be a, a very dense thing that sometimes you have to read a second time to. Uh, to comprehend everything that's going on. So second, I can only imagine. Third, you, you just said second time. I, I need second, third, fourth time. <laughs> <laughs> I would just take like a highlighter pen and be like, okay, here's a major concept. Here's something. And then just go oh, off I've that. Done that. I've taken notes while reading Grant Morrison many times to come back to. <laughs> yeah. But that's the and, beauty of it. That's what I love about it. It makes sense though, right? Yeah. Somehow he keeps it all in. I don't know how he keeps all that in his head. Yeah. He he doesn't. He's going stream of conscious and just letting it out, man. Well, when I did Ultra Comics with him, um, I think that's what it's called. Um, it, once again, it was a very esoteric script. Uh, Superman Beyond, really like far out. Superman Beyond was just a crazy script. You know, it's like, what does he want? I don't do this. <laughs> and but then in the end, when I finally did it, and when I I you know go back to it later, it's like. Uh, it, it reads just, you know, hey, you you got it. You figured it out, buddy, you know. But at the time, it was, whoa. H have you ever met him? No, not in person, not yet. Really? I will sooner or later, yeah. I don't get out to many shows or conventions. or We just have never been in the same place at the same time that I know of. Huh. It's uh, crazy how uh, how the business works, how you can so closely with someone on so many projects and never even have to be in the same place. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the good and the bad of it. Um, here I am, you know, I, <laughs> what do you do? You sit, I sit in the, you know, what you, you're in a lower level of a house in the corner of a, of a room, you know, sitting in my drawing board, you know, I, I draw these, these fantastic adventures and, and I do it by sitting here, you know, I don't go anywhere, you know, when I work, you know, it's all in, in our heads. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's really kind of strange when you realize that mm. you could spend your whole life telling these amazing stories, but you, you don't have to go anywhere. You know, you just, I'm sitting on my ass <laughs> and, doing one, and doing one arm push-ups. Yeah. 
I do have a I do have a pull-up bar up there, so it's one of my it's really for my kids. I'm a little too heavy for it, I think. So, like, if you were to meet, you know, um, a new reader for the first time and and had like 30 seconds to kind of introduce your work to sell them, what what series or work would you pull out, you know, to or or are you most proud of to say, hey, here's my work and check it out? Oh, that's so hard to do. <laughs> There's so many things that are so different about what I do. Like, like you were to talk to me about my career, you know, like th- there was, there was a, a pivotal moment where I realized, oh, I, I think I finally got this. I, I figured out that I can actually draw comics, at least of a certain type. When I did um, back at Dark Horse, I would say I, I, I felt like I really arrived and knew what I was doing when I did um, – my final mask work, which was uh, the mask strikes back. Cause when I look at it, I realize, huh, I was, I was, you know, firing on all cylinders here. I, I got all the beats, right. I did all this stuff within this story that I'm super happy about. I did it right. Um, I could say, however, when I started off, you know, once, and then, you know, just on my own, you know, like the body work that I did for major bomber, it's a totally different experience it's it's still once more time just since it was mine i was free to create all of this stuff as as i saw fit you know so that was that was really you know that in itself is a unique piece of work that that speaks about who i am on the other hand uh i would not point to something like my first superhero work at dc with um man of steel because that was intimidating (laughs) like i'm not a particular i'm not intimidated by anything in general but Superman was intimidating. Like, what? Because I, I thought, here's this character who's been around forever, and and he's, it's got all these fans, and these people look at it a certain way. You know, how do you, how do you draw this so that they're happy? So I didn't really draw so much how I would have wanted to do it. I drew in a in a much more conservative sort of um, timid. Not timid is not the right word, but I didn't take many risks with what I really would have done. Um, so that, you know, but I learned over time, hey, you know, to, to let my hair down and, and not to be intimidated by these characters, you know. But the first time, my first foray into it was like, whoa, Superman, you know. <laughs> known, you know, a symbol known all over the world. What do I do? Uh, but I got over it. So when it comes, let's see, trying to think of other things that would have, that, you know. Batman, the man who laughs? It, it's, that's me. That's me drawing as me. Um, and actually, the Rubaker, I think we neither of us expected that story to be what it was. And it, you know, I just had this story. And they were looking for an artist for it. You know, do you want to do this while you're doing your other stuff? And I had a, a friend of mine who was my assistant. His name is Sean Mall. Sean ended up working in comics in his own right. Um, but at the time, you know, we were, we'd get together, work in the studio and just knock out pages like mad. And when we did, um, when we did that book, it was, I don't even know. The, the art, the actual drawing was very skeletal. It was all finished in the, in the inks. And I used my favorite uh, C6 nib and I just sat there and it, it, actually in a green easy chair, uh, just Inking away, just having fun doing this, and this book ended up being a classic. You know, you like been, doing your own inks. I like doing it when I, 
when I can do it in my own way and, and where my expectations are that it's suitable for the book. Because for a lot of things, I don't, I don't feel that way. You know, when I did, you know, uh, Seven Soldiers Frankenstein, it fit. I could express myself however I wanted with my inks. Um, same thing with that book. I also did, um, let's see, what was it? Uh, I'm trying to think of Stormwatch uh, PhD, all right? Post-Human Division. Uh, this was a book um, at, at DC that was when the Wild Storm line came in. And it was me penciling and inking. <coughs> it in itself, I think I did, it was with a uh, writer, Chris Gage, Christos Gage. And we did a great little book. I don't know how many people saw it, but it was, it was a cool story. Christos wrote a great story. And I just basically did what I really enjoyed doing. And so the, 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 the book really is very expressive about how I enjoy when I do my own penciling and inking. Um, when, I, when I'm drawing something like what I'm doing right now for detective, um, you know, I, it's, it's a, it's a style that, um, is done for, for comic books of this type. I mean, it's, it's work, you know, I like how it turns out. I love the results. I love Jaime's inks, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's definitely not, it, I mean, structurally it would all be the same. But inking-wise and, and the looseness that I would do it on, if it was just me, it would be a very different appearance. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's doing amazing things, in my opinion, you know, with the inks and hitting all of these details and beats and textures and stuff that is pretty remarkable. And we're a really good team, and we're working together for a few years. And that's, I, I, I hope he continue. you know, like, I hope I don't burn him out. Um <laughs> But this do you, is what, do this you ever is, send a page to him and be like, "Oh, he's going to hate me." <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I, that trust me, I I feel terrible sometimes when I hand <laughs> pages. Um, but he rises to the occasion, and he's 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 been doing a great job. But the um, but that's the work that is fitting for like these these kind of jobs, like detective. You know, that's just what I want the fans to see. So I would say like. If I wanted to hand somebody to say, here, this is my work, it literally would probably be what I'm doing right now. Uh, detective, yeah. first two issues of Detective here, this is what you can expect out of me. And, and storytelling-wise, uh, detail-wise, all the things that should be in a book that I think should be in a book of this caliber and this type. Um, I wouldn't hand them uh, Hitman Lobo, even though I love Hitman Lobo. That was just a gas. That was just like one grotesque joke after another, you know, <laughs> say here, this is, this should represent me. You know, this is just me having fun with, with Lobo. Right. You know? <laughs> so, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. Yeah. What, what I just am producing right now. Uh, and you, you could look back, it's the same thing could be said with the work that I did on Superman, I guess, you know, the last few years, you know, with Jaime and if somebody wanted to pick up, you know, like, all that work that was done in Green Lantern too, um, you know, this it's it's all fairly consistent. Um, that's that's my answer. So, no plans for a, a Soup Man comic or a so Soap Man comic? Man, uh, some little kid once read the story and knew about it, and he at a convention he asked me to draw Soap Man. So I, I've done one drawing of Soap Man, 
Um, <laughs> I'd never drawn Soap Man before, so there is a drawing of Soap Man out there. Man, okay, uh, here's what you got to do. You got to get Pete to put Soap Man in Detective Comics. <laughs> you know, like, you know, a little boy that wants to be a superhero, kind of like, you know, Batman, and that's what he comes up with. Yeah. That would be awesome. Give him, like, a horrific, like, origin story, like, where he watched his mom get, like, chainsawed when he was a kid. And, like, <laughs> Damn! Blood is, like, like, the blood soaked through the, the like, the carpet, so he, he has to get the soap to get the blood out of the carpet. That's why he's so mad. Mr. He's Clean. Trying to get, he's trying to just desperately to get his mom out of the carpet. <laughs> man, I'm telling you what, if soap I tried to be variance, Soap Man, dude, Soap Man, man I'm digging it. If I, if I tried to be Soap Man, my mom would put my ass to work uh, cleaning the house and yeah, what a yeah. convenient like superhero for a kid to be. Uh, Mo- <laughs> Mothers of America would love it. Boy, are you kidding me? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> hey, you know you what? You get soap in your eye. That's the only thing I could think of. You know, you know <laughs> washing my hair and I got soap in my eyes. Mom, it stings. Oh man, <laughs> like my kids scream oh. bloody murder when I try to give them a bath because of it. Yes. So. I mean, just think of the power of soap. I tell you, it's awful. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. It's some, like, it's some good bad guys chase Jimmy, just spray some soap on the ground. They <laughs> fall down. I'm here to clean this town up. Hey, d- don't don't mess oh, with soap, man. You, you guys, it's full metal jacket, man. You don't mess with the soap, boy. <laughs> oh, man. You don't drop the soap either. Dude. <laughs> they dig kingpin in that that's when, that's when Private Pile snaps, dude. That's the last that's, drop that's for him, kingpin man. That's when kingpin snaps, boy. And just, uh... Yeah, he's got no friends. Doug, speaking of gruesome, I was thinking about this. Is yeah. this is it a now officially canon? I, don't, I can't think of anyone before you. That has shown Martha Wayne getting shot in the head as how she like died. That's a good point. I, you know, I, I think I, it, it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, they had sent me reference. You know, they'd sent me reference for what I needed. Good and God! The shot was this. Somewhere it was a shot of. I, I know that they've retold the tale a few times, um, but that's what they sent me. You know, it's it's literally it's Martha with a hole in her head. <laughs> so if that's not how you guys see it, I guess it is how you see it now. Can't uh, unsee. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's one of the one of the things that I was going through that issue. I was like, Jesus Christ, they are really like not holding anything back some, here, man. Some black label shit, man. Okay. Yeah, you're you're basically getting that image burned into your brain the way that probably Bruce does every night when he closes his eyes. No wonder, no wonder yeah. you're so screwed up, man. That's like, freaking dude, it would have been worse if. His mom, if he had been soap man, though, you got to admit, but yeah, if that's what his um, it's it's a gruesome thing. And if if everyone can accept the fact now that Martha's been ventilated through the skull, that's all it's been done. Doug, that's uh, another, another question that kind of like, uh, I guess with the current, the current, um landscape of of comics and art as an artist yourself how yep. do you feel about uh, there seems to be and you can comment on this if you want or not but there seems to be a growing group of people online in the you know the the vortex of whatever you want to call it twitter comment sections that are that you know an artist will do his interpretation or rendition of a, of a character or whatever and then you're starting to hear some like back talk from fans saying, "Oh, that's too much. Oh, they shouldn't go that far. This and that." As an artist, you know, how do you approach that, or how do you see that? Well, 
uh, I mean, too much, too much to one person is not necessarily too much to somebody else. I think the companies themselves, you know, like obviously DC has a proprietary interest in, in how people view their characters. Um, if things are made more gruesome, you know, because of the times, I mean, they do have to take the sensitivity of their readers at heart as well. Um, cause I know as, I mean, artistically, you know, people like to take what they've, what they've done and, and do it their own way or it or if it, if it's becoming more gruesome or gory, um, you really should, of course, at the same time, have some level of sensitivity for who buys the comics. Um, you know, you don't want to like gross them out too badly or push them. <laughs> I don't know. Push them in the direction but, that they're not comfortable going. But uh, there, there sort of comes this point where like, a, a lot of the online—it's uh, it, not limited to just to just comics by any means. But there's yeah. a segment of the internet that is part of this outrage culture where it feels like people are looking for the next thing to be angry about, mm -hmm. and that exists in the comic culture. And that there—it feels like there can come a point where too many people who uh, are speaking out against so many of the things happening could end up having, you know, if, if they're listened to, it could end up having an adverse effect yeah. on the product we get, you know, if it's affecting the vision of creators who are doing it. Imagine if Frank Miller was writing the dark Knight returns or year oh, one and with each issue, he's getting feedback from people online that are complaining to DC editorial. Oh, he can't do this. Stop doing this. And you know, well, they used to, the they used to do that in the, all those people who are not vocal and aren't saying anything and, and appreciate what he's doing or, or, right. you know, right. or say what's going on. They just don't happen to say it. You know, yeah, exactly. you have a vocal minority who's expressing an opinion. I guess you really have to look at look at the percentages or look at look at how much of it is there. You know, if it's not much, it should not be worried about um, you know, it's, it's nice that people can express their opinion. Obviously that's the, it's the way of the world now, but it certainly wasn't that way to this degree when I started comics. Um, you know, you operated essentially in a vacuum. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to know what fans say. If anything, I, me, myself personally, I, I, I probably spend very little time looking at comic related material online. Um, I do some, I don't read a lot of reviews, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'll read a review or, uh, Pete will tell me that, you know, you got a positive, we we're getting a positive response and I appreciate that because I, I don't want, I don't want what I do personally to be, to be, uh, guided by online chatter. I mean, I never have, I, I don't gravitate in that direction. I'd, DC hires me, you know, as a professional to do this professional job I'm capable of doing, and I'm always going to do it to the best of my ability. Um, but, you know, the, I think the only way that I would ever respond would, would have to be coming from editorial, because that's the only way that I'd ever know. Um, you know, I don't, I'm doing the best I can. I try to produce a really good comic every time I, you know, Every time I sit down to draw, you know, that's my job. That's what I do. I've, I've got 30 years of doing it, sometimes worse, but most of the time, always trying to improve or do something better, you know, especially if, 
if something uh, especially meaningful, you want to do an exceptional job. Um, but it, it's never been driven by by what I've read or heard. Uh, you know, it's always been driven by my desire just to do something really well. Um, you know, I'm I could say I'm my own harshest critic, but what I what I really am is somebody who just wants to really do good comics, and in my way. So you know, it's um, it's unfortunate if if a smaller group of people has a sway over what's going on um, in comics. I guess there's only one way to tell. You know, I, I, I would assume that you guys pay more attention to that than I do. Well, yeah, a lot of it's on social media, and I, I'm not sure how active you are on certain social media outlets. I, I know that you are on Instagram, and yeah. um, a lot of it, a lot of the pushback recently has been uh, with some groups on Twitter. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's not, it's not a Marvel thing. It's not a DC thing. It's just yeah. kind of a a generational thing sometimes. Probably, you know, and hey, I'm. You know, I'm almost 56 years old. I wasn't raised to be, you know, a, a public guy like that. I'm not afraid to be, a, you know, on social media. I'm just, I just don't think about it as much as somebody who's younger does. Yeah, you're um, working, man. <laughs> yeah, no, really, if I spend all my, you know, and to be perfectly honest, usually if I'm actually pursuing something or looking at something, it has to do something not comic related. You know, I might be looking up, I don't know, just some something I'm curious about or weightlifting, you know, I, I totally admit that I spend more time dealing with weightlifting related stuff online than I do with comics. Um, usually with comics it's, and I'm not saying I don't, I don't have some, uh, you know, interaction with fans and all that. Cause I do. And I try to, my Instagram is like 40% there. If I would remember and then think, yeah, I should put out more content, you know, or do more drawings or something, because I really get really lax about it. And put up um, some soap man sketches. I should. So everybody it would blow up. <laughs> and I know, because I, I see what, you know, like, uh, you know, successful Instagram accounts look like, but I, I wasn't out there to have a successful in Instagram account. I was out there to be a successful comic book artist. Right. But, you know, um, you know, I've I've made friends online, you know, with with fans as well as other creators. But you know, in my own time, and it's it's not a it's not something that I I spend a lot of time doing. Uh, you know, watching the latest, you know, like world champion weightlifting. That's probably stuff that I end up doing. Okay, that's one uh, thing I wanted to ask you. Like, okay, because you know, you're interested in weightlifting, and and that involves you know not just building your own anatomy, but studying anatomy, which comes yeah. into play with your art, right? Yeah. Do you, I heard this one artist talk about how he watches MMA fights yeah. so that he gets like, you know, ideas for how to, how his characters can fight and stuff like that. Do you do, or do you have any like specific reference for not just your characters, but maybe also architectural backgrounds and things like that? Well, I um I don't do that as much as I, I probably should really, uh, but I also have a martial arts background, and you know so all of these physical interests you know just kind of play together and I I get an idea what I think is good action, um, you know I can pace a fight usually and I have the you know the things that I grew up reading comic book wise it kind of also forms some of that and then 
you know, as far as anatomy, um, I don't know. I've just picked it up along the way. I mean, I've, I've always, if I can't figure something out, I trust me, I'll look online and see if I can find a reference, but almost everything you see is just me pouring forth and just drawing, um, just making shit up as I go along. <laughs> there was a time, you know, and this is, and, and make no mistake, it's, it's something that I've, it's through observation, you know, for years and years of it. I, I, I have a collection of photographs. I have a collection of stuff that I put together on my computer. I have, you know, some things that I, like when I see faces or women's faces or stuff like that, I have a file that I, that I, that I have collected, but I, I rarely look at it. I just don't think to, cause I'm just sitting there drawing. Um, you know, as far as buildings, you know, I, when I, I used to go to Chicago quite a bit and, uh, you know, I have a lot of photo, I have a nice big photo file, but I don't have to look at it so much anymore. Uh, you know, I, I know the basic structure of buildings and all these things. Um, every, every once in a while, like if I have to draw like a, a, a metered, you know, like large four way stop, you know, in the middle of a city, I go, how do they put those stoplights? You know, <laughs> go, how can I fake this? You know, does anyone really notice? You know, and, and uh, you know, so I might actually look it up and I, I, sometimes I go, God, you know, the very specific things that I want, doesn't somebody just have a master's layout like this? I could just have it. But um, if I really do need it, obviously, and it's something very specific, I, I go to it and I look at it. But other than that, most of the stuff that you see is just me drawing, yeah. you know, anatomy, everything. Right. Just me screwing around. Have you ever like dropped a Easter egg of like you know your hometown or someone you know in in one of your books? Yeah, yeah. I, I um, I've got uh, like a, a buddy of mine named Matt. He ended up in uh, let's see which book. It might have been Lobo Hitman. Actually, I think it was. Um, and Pat Gleason, artist Pat Gleason. Pat mm-hmm. has a as a character in many books many and I, I wish I'd keep, kept track over all the years because when Pat was 20 I mean my worked for me and then became a, an, an artist you know rather quickly in his own right um, so even from a, an early beginning I, I started sticking him in um, <laughs> because I found him easy to draw you know, there's certain characteristics Pat had when he was younger, especially about his face, this kind of Irish nose and certain way his eyebrows went. And he always had sideburns and his hair stuck up. So I could draw him. Like, you know, I got shots yeah. of him just in the background. I got shots of him, you know, where he was a character dead on the ground, you know. <laughs> I would guess maybe a dozen times in the comics. Crime Alley with a hole in his face. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I love that. <laughs> I'll <love that>. <laughs> pages and say, here it is. And all the time that Drew met or do Pat, you know, killed or in the background or in a car. I don't know. He's just, he just became a character. It's like another character that has appeared in a, it's just a kid that I made in Major Bummer. And we called him Timmy. I don't know if that's his name, but he's just a kid with a bull haircut and a striped shirt. Timmy has appeared in all kinds of issues. The same kid has shown up again and again. You know, sometimes just in the background, just a little, little kid. Mm-hmm. I think the last, the most recent time I drew him was my last, maybe my last issue of Superman. Oh, on, nice. uh, yeah, we're we're on. Um, oh well, um, what's that planet? <laughs> I can't even think right now. Krypton. <laughs> uh, 
the anti version of Superman. What's his name? Oh, um, Ultraman. No, no, no. The funny one. The one that. Oh, is Bizarro. Like, Bizarro. Bizarro World. Thanks. <laughs> um, so I think I drew him into Bizarro World. Timmy is this nice. character in Bizarro World. So he's a little kid. He's mint. If you see a little kid in a striped shirt and a bull haircut, he's been in many times. Huh. Can't wait till that one kid sees the so the unfortunate crazy. death of his parents and becomes soap man, <laughs> Timmy. <laughs> his parents get washed. Too. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, no one is. I just want to touch up on current events for a second. Now, um, you're as seasoned of a comic book artist as they come. You've done. You pretty much done it all. Pretty much. D- DC's <laughs> initiative with black label was intended to really push the envelope graphically yeah. into um our, our friend he was on the show uh, Lee Bermejo put out they yeah. put out the damned uh, Batman yep. damned and um it wasn't even a it wasn't even a penis it was a like highlight silhouettes of a penis yeah bat dick uh, American yeah. <laughs> American social media whatever went nuts and DC kind of had to double back and and they made him pretty much censor issue too which yeah. kind of technically kind of contradicts the whole sole purpose focus of the DC Black Label imprint. What what are your thoughts on that? And just to add to that, do you want to see publication from the big two pushed forward in that way? Maybe in the same nature as say like the European comics do, without yeah. you know people losing their minds over a, a highlight of a penis or something like that. Um, I mean. When I saw it, I, I, I could see that it was going to be controversial. Mm. I mean, let's face it, yeah. you know, Bat Dick had never been seen before. And <laughs> yeah. yo, I, why I, not? <laughs> I, it was, I mean, if they, if they really, they couldn't have known the impact was going to be the way that it was. However, when you're dealing with these characters like Batman or Superman, you know they're not going to, you know, Superman's. You're not going to be seeing Superman's Johnson. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, I, I know they're very sensitive about it and they, and they, they need to be because, you know, these characters are so expansive in the, in the public conscience, mm-hmm. you know, like people are such enormous Batman fans or Superman fans or Wonder Woman fans. Um, it's, it goes so far beyond comics for that matter. And, you know, getting back to like what you know you guys were talking about earlier about you know a vocal you know people are maybe kind of you know being outraged at something and providing you know then affecting a company's decisions whether or not they're a large group or if they just really are you know very you know can get a, can get things going you know I I wish I knew more about this because you know I, I I hate to be ignorant. Um, you know, I get to sit in my own little glass tower and just draw comics. But if it had been me, you know, drawing that, not, you know, Libra Mayo, um, would I have questioned it? You know, would I have drawn it? I suppose. I mean, if that's what, if that's what the plan was. Um, and there's, there's no way that DC was anticipating the backlash. I don't think they were. You know, if it was, if it really did go negative or if they were expecting it to go negative, you know, did the executives think that they had a, a plan in place if it did um you know well, it made that book sell out real quick and become yeah. a hot commodity in the second hand market i'll tell you that so maybe you know maybe there was a purpose to it 
you know, I'm not going to suggest that they, you know, that yeah. they, they knew that this would be the case and then they could market it that way, you know, because Batman doesn't need people, more people. Everybody knows who Batman is. You know, it's right. not going to people run out and want to have this comic book specifically. You know, Batman fans are everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I did, was, I mean, maybe you guys could tell me, I mean, how did it run, you know, was the average Batman fan outraged by this? Or no, no, no. But then no. that book, I mean, that book came out art only, art form only to retailers. Yeah. Probably, what was it, Robin? Two months? Uh, a month to two months, I would say. Uh, I had that uh, in my end. Yeah, everyone's different, I think. Yeah. Uh, because I had that book in my hands for let's say a month before before yeah. it came out, and I didn't even think to mention the penis to anyone i didn't yeah. even notice it when i first Neither saw it I. and i was and my shop owner was like he was just like watching me flip through the book and um yeah because usually like anything that bermejo does i'm like put that in my pool beautiful and um so you know i was flipping through the book now granted i wasn't just like studying it because i kind of saw it as like a trailer for a movie. I want to see enough of it so that it piques my interest and yeah, I'm going to buy it. So I flipped through it and he was like, you didn't notice. And I was like, notice, <laughs> no, notice what? And he goes, there's twigs and berries in the book. And he was like, he was like worried that, uh, the book was going to get canceled before it even came out. Did, and you, he was like, did you see it? Yeah. He was worried that I'm not going to be able to sell this and I'm going to get sued if I sell this. And I was like, why? And I was like, you know, it's it's like a R-rated version of Batman. You know, big deal because in uh, the Dark Knight three book that came out like in 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, 21. But you know, they had <laughs> a picture of yeah Wonder Woman breastfeeding oh, yeah. her son. Yeah, there was not one damn word said, and Dark that kind of gave me hope that I was like okay. Comic readers have matured. We can, you know, yeah, that's the thing I have was... better stories. Wrong. It's I... not that nudity was required. It was just that that was kind of a moment between her and her son. And in, in Damned, Batman took off his uniform walking through the Batcave and, you know, okay. Yeah, what full would you disclosure, expect? after I come home from work, it comes off. Yeah, I don't think... It is in everything. Just to read kindle my question it wasn't not necessarily about the bad penis but your thoughts on dc going in a direction with an imprint where there would be no censor censorship and push it forward a little you know maybe in a similar nature that european <coughs> comics do or or yeah. image or whatnot but with the with, with, with DC. marvel max yeah but then having to double back because people just couldn't get over a highlight of a penis in a comic book you know being that it's batman or whatnot like would, yeah. would you like you know would you like to see um this imprint push forward with artwork that doesn't have to deal with censorship and where artists could really push the envelope and create amazing things is what i'm saying yeah i mean look i mean i i've in in my life i've collected all kinds of comics i've plenty of european stuff yes um and it, i would never have thought twice about it mm -hmm. art story everything you know if if it's meant to be in the story if there's if there's a purpose to it 
granted, you wouldn't be selling certain comics. I somehow managed to get a hold of comics I was supposed to have when I was pretty young. Um, you know, as far as like the the retailer was concerned, uh, but um, if if they if they want to do it, yeah, I, I'm not opposed to it at all. I mean, it's it has its market. You you assume it does. It it already exists. Um, I don't know this. The, it can't be. It couldn't be that hard to do, yeah. or for a retailer to you know if they have this particular product. Um, I just don't know how cagey they would be about it. You know, worrying about backlash from because this character, as well as it's it's not just DCs. You know, it's it goes well beyond DC. It goes into another entire area. And maybe that's where the real sensitivity arises. It was kind of the worst. It was because it was Batman. It was Bruce Wayne, and it was was also bad timing because they had just uh, they had just gotten a new head of like consumer products or something for Warner Brothers, and it was like her first week on the job. And then this book hits, and the echo chamber of Twitter like lights up, and it's her first week, and she's got to respond to it. You know, heads heads are rolling. Yeah, did, did the book have a mature? reader yeah. Kind of, yeah it's been it's well, then, it's been said you know they've been uh, promoting it as that yeah and yeah, so it, it was just a knee-jerk it was a knee-jerk reaction there was one there was one open letter from a retailer that got circulated and then it was really the echo chamber of a few people on twitter and it yeah. wasn't even the majority but it, it got enough attention to scare people i think is what it was and it's, a, it's a shame because to, to me the gotham universe was was always r-rated you know i feel like they've been Shackles too long. I'm sorry. It's not Metropolis. It's not Metropolis. Not at all. It's not Metropolis. It's not. It's Jersey. (laughs) And uh, they were about to let the artists and writers let loose and really push those stories that would really fully exemplify everything that Gotham's about. But then this happened, and and in my opinion, I feel it's because the general audience, general audience in America, North America in general, just can't handle things like this when it comes to certain characters and that's i think it's just a real shame because yeah. this genre really and needs to be pushed forward in that way yeah because it, it, it will it, always it be handled in all other kinds of characters they have no trouble with it in all other areas right. and for that matter, you know like when you think about it like the mature concept let's say what this could do you know it could tell those stories that you know, that, that they get into such a gritty area and maybe incredibly uncomfortable areas where, you know, ours, you know, it'd be very interesting to see a superhero tread, you know, yeah. especially Batman. So, yeah, it's as long as he doesn't have to be too much, you know, milk and dry toast. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not fair to the character. Well, I still I mean, have some hope because we are getting, you know, Martha does have a fucking hole in her head now. So <laughs> I was going to say, man, how did you get that one past the... <laughs> I think we're good. You know, that, that was a uh, pretty man. intense, man. The funniest part about the whole uh, uh, uproar about the, uh, the bat penis in uh, damned is that that's, you know, early on in the book, the very last panel of that book is a defaced crucifixion of Jesus in a church painted over with Joker Ha ha ha's all over it, and I'm that was what caught my attention at the very yeah. End. I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> believe they did that, and nobody's like, talking about it. I but swear, I was like, People are gonna be pissed. So Joker being an ex, you know, just a psycho, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it should have had impact. I mean, that was the whole, I mean, that's what it's supposed to do, yeah, 
you know I, yeah i want to print that out and put that in my uh, in my living room for my parents when they come over to see what they say mm. <laughs> uh Bat- batman is uh one of those characters he's high profile enough that there is a different standard so when issue one of damned came out and showed his penis it was a giant deal Whereas the very next week, Giant when deal. an issue of Doomsday Clock <laughs> came out, and it had uh, <laughs> the the very next week, Doomsday yeah. Clock came out and showed Doctor Manhattan's penis, no <laughs> one talked about it because it's normal. Well, he's he's blue. Now. <laughs> blue. <laughs> oh, all right. Past the penis talk. The, um, yeah. Doug, Doug, Doug Monkey does not want to draw dicks. Okay, we've been talking about it for a while, man. Hey, look, back when, okay, I mentioned earlier. I mentioned earlier. Um, Lobo Hitman. All right. Yeah. Lobo Hitman was signed off on. You know, the, um, Paul Levitz was the the guy at the time. You know, behind the desk, and um, when that when that um, when that book was drawn. You know, and the script was supposedly passed. I mean, it's it's an incredibly gory book. I mean, it's it's comedy, but it's Garth Ennis comedy. You know, and we they actually when it when it was finished and, and all mocked up and ready to be, you know, go out to print practically, they looked at it and he says, "We can't publish this." You know, like there was too much gore in it. I said, "Well, that that's what was in the script. The script made it through." And granted, you know, Paul has to read tons of this stuff. And I understand when maybe a cursory reading was done versus a, a full examination. So here we were with this ultra-violent comic, you know, with viscera flying all over the place. Or, you know, Lobo holding handfuls of organs, you know, <laughs> heads being split open and all this stuff. And so we had to actually go back. They, they, they took some stuff out. And I was like, man, like you guys would take out this little part here but over here i got some guy's face being head being split open over a over a window you know car window you know half face on one side half you know all this stuff and this gore and blood and all these things you know so you never know and plus the the ending was changed too um we had to re redo the ending uh because it was a little too suggestive as to what had happened to lobo um so in, instead of what we had originally, then we just have him getting married to Bueno Excelente, um, which was acceptable, and we got the book published. But we came really close to not having that actually ever see the light of day, and it's just because Pete went to bat for it and was very, you know, says, you know, he said, "What do we have to do to to get this book published?" And that's just over, you know, like of course the American audience has way less tolerance for for nudity but high tolerance for absolute explosion of bodies yeah that's true that's so true well what's funny is that you know uh over the last i guess two three years we've done the podcast you know we'll ask some of these artists or creators what they want to work on and a large portion of them say lobo yeah they love lobo is what it is because lobo is just you know, you can just do anything with Lobo. Nobody cares. Yeah. I mean, he's he's been degraded in every way possible, as well as <laughs> as uh, you know as. It, but the main man just you know keeps swinging. Yeah. So, who is your favorite DC character? Um, uh, good question. Um, I, 
I have, I mean, I have different versions of it when I, when I think about it, stuff that I've really, <laughs> things that I've had fun doing yeah. or, or working on. And, you know, sometimes the answers are, are, are kind of malleable. Um, Plastic Man, for instance, when, when I was doing Justice League JLA, yeah. Plastic Man was, was in the story. And I, you know, we, we got to do some really good stuff with Plastic Man. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the character. And, and a lot of people didn't so much care about Plastic Man. I understand that. You know, he's not exactly the heavy hitter at DC. But in the right hands of the right writer, a character can really come to life and intrigue you. You know, so at the time, even though I was also drawing, you know, uh, Kyle, Green Lantern, Superman, Batman, you know, Wonder Woman, um, the, the real fun part was doing, you know, bits or stories that involved Plastic Man. Mm. And, uh, you know, so, you know, that, that, that's something that I would have to say is that sets out in my careers, something I really liked to do. And I, I would love to do more stories of, of a high caliber with the right writer where Plastic Man is concerned. He's, um, there's a lot of heavy rumors that he might get his own movie. And, and people say he's like the most oh, powerful cool. character in the DC universe as well. They have a way of making him that way. Yeah. Cause like his cellular structure is different or whatever. Yeah. He just fully realized what he's capable of. I, I can um, see them launching a movie with the right director. And then all of a sudden it is Plastic Mania for some reason. One of these sleepers that's been around forever, but, <laughs> No one's made you know that big of use for. So that's yeah, you know what? You know what? I got it figured out because Frank Miller even said that he wants to do more Plastic Man. Yeah. So Doug, yeah. maybe you and Frank Miller <laughs> Uncle need Frank. to team up. You and Uncle Frank and Uncle Dougie need to get together and get this shit going. Well, when you guys talk to him, you put the bug in his ear. Man, hey, we're you know you probably have better contacts than we do. We've been he's like a ghost. Yeah, you know. He's an icon. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, it's, other it's, like, stuff. it's like trying to get Batman himself on the show. Yeah. yeah. Easiest thing. And I then, asked him a question once. It was great. <laughs> Did you get an answer? Yeah. He. Uh, we. Uh, it was at a Barnes and Noble event. Actually, uh, the same one where Stan Lee showed up because yeah. they were doing the 30th right. anniversary release of Dark Knight Returns, and yeah. it was maybe two weeks before the opening of Batman vs Superman. Yep. And they had uh, they had all the posters. They had like giant building size posters of <clears throat> Batman in the armored suit in the parking lot. He must have walked through and seen it. So I asked him, "How does it look to see you know your your suit that so heavily influenced that Batman up on a poster like that?" And he said, "Well, I think it looks pretty spiffy." <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Frank. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, to get back to your question, you know, obviously, you know, with the right moments, like the work that I got to do with Pete and Pat on Superman, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, it, 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 for that matter, um, Superman really came like because I spent some time on Superman Wonder Woman, but it wasn't, you know, that was ailing Superman. That was short haired Superman with the black shirt, you know didn't look much like superman yeah it was it was great to be able to draw superman as superman and then you know batman i mean batman is a character i've most probably wanted to get back to yeah Um, so you know here i'm on detective and there's a lot of he's i'm not saying he's easy to draw but he's fun to draw yeah 
Um, you know, and you, it's working out the quirks of, of how, just how to do it. And, um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm happy with what I'm producing. And then, um, some other stuff that I've, that I've actually done, uh, that I, that I really enjoyed the character because it was so well driven in the story was when, uh, Pete, Pete Tomasi and I did, uh, the story, uh, with Black Adam. Mm. You know? And here nice, I, here yeah. I you know, Pete wrote such a good story. You know, you have this, you know, you have this Old Testament style mass murdering SOB and he knows it. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you're so conflicted because, you know, within the story, he shows great heart and helps out somebody who helps him. But then you have to realize, well, he did like kill every man, woman, and child country. <laughs> but here he is being sensitive to somebody who helped him. And then. You know, and the fact that he's he's trying desperately to resurrect his wife, you know, and, and you realize that it's it's not meant to be because, you know, Pete knew that he couldn't do that. You can't give this this guy what he wants. But it was a great, you know, really fun story to do over four. I think it was four issues. And <laughs> for, a, for a bit of work that just sits there that, you know, I really like the story, really proud of it. You know, that's a good example of being handed a character and all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, I would love to do more just like this. But, of course, it's pretty unlikely. And then, you know, getting to draw Frankenstein, you know, in the hands of Grant Morrison in his storytelling, that was just fun. It was just stupid fun the whole time. Did, well, did you look at any of, like, Bernie Wrights and stuff before you did that? or did you uh, just... But, I, you know, I'd seen Bernie. I, I, I had his Frankenstein book, you know. Yeah. Uh, so his his work and all that stuff, you know, he's, he was an influence. It, it's it's hard not to be a guy of my age who grew up when he did, and not have some Bernie Wrights in, in you. Mm, yeah. So uh, Frankenstein was, you know, that was just a pleasure ride. It wasn't even work. That's Got paid. But who was, who are more of your uh, artistic influences? Um, mm. just about everybody that worked for Marvel back in the seventies, <laughs> and cool. and. They, um, I mean, because that's the age that I, I did the most, I was the most focused on collecting, and those are the stories I knew. So, um, the one that the one that always percolates to the top is Gil Kane, and because he was such a master. And you know, back then Marvel knew they could sell any comic as long as they put Gil Kane cover on it. That guy could just flat out draw covers like no one else. But the you know Barry Windsor Smith was another big because I was a big Conan fan, mm. and I watched. Guys are just metamorphosed, you know, in front of my eyes through about twenty issues of Conan, and he just he just made that story for me. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Galassi, um, you know, when he did his the, the stuff that he that he would do uh, with Shang Chi Master Kung Fu, he was another guy who just like through the course of reading this book, all of a sudden by the end, it was like it wasn't Shang Chi; it was a long-haired Bruce Lee, and I was like a huge Bruce Lee fan. And so right. I just loved it. You know, I was just mesmerized by what he did. Um, but really, it was just about everyone. I mean, with with a few exceptions, I wasn't like a big Don Heck fan. Mm. Uh, you know, I'd, he, his, he was a little too sketchy for me. But everyone there, and, um, you know, even Jack Kirby, who, you know, I couldn't avoid him. Yeah, and the king. <laughs> but, I mean, I loved his artwork. Mm. Um, but the, the real influences were, were guys like Gil Kane, yeah. uh, you know, they, and then I was actually, I, I 
a lot of Rich Corbin. I was a kid growing up in Kansas at the time, and, and Corbin stuff I used to get from the, the pages of Creepy and Eerie magazine especially, you know, because he did a lot of horror stuff. And even to this day, a lot of what how I envision um, action really was an outgrowth of how Corbin did his action. Um, and I mean, I could, if I sat down with the body of Corbin's work, I could literally like show you like how something influenced me. Cause often like Corbin would do things <coughs> that would happen, like reactions off panel and stuff where somebody, you know, something went flying and you might see an arm. I, I mean, I, I could literally show you what's stuck in my brain from that stuff. Mm. Um, so, uh, it, but there's more Herb Trimpey. Like nobody would think like Herb Trimpey is big influence. Yeah, man, I read so much Hulk. Um, I, I couldn't, I could, you know, Trimpey's work was just right for the project, and uh, <laughs> I loved it. You know, it was easy to read visually. You know, comics back then. You know, we, we've gotten kind of fancy over the years. <laughs> yeah, with um, with comic, you know, we're like, wow, we're in 2019 now, and there's just so many. Uh, pencils for hire now everywhere and such talent yeah like and i know you're busy but in terms of like contemporary guys now is there anyone that sticks out to you that you're like oh this guy is kind no, of I'm not, honestly I'm, I'm not very good with names i see great stuff but i see some you know online as i seen stuff come through and when i get my comps you know i'm old so you know names like don't stick yeah but you know it's just beautiful artwork out there it's amazing mm. and then you know, like um, Jorge Jimenez, for example, is a, yeah. a new one. Oh, yeah, he's great. And yet, oh my gosh, he, he's so expressive in, in in his style. And it's it's so much fun to look at. You know, like he's dialed it in, you know, and everything he does, of course, is, is digital. Uh, but, you know, he's like the first guy that, to me, I was, I was looking at it and just going, yeah, this could also be, you know, just as just as beautifully if he was if he was drawing it with a pencil as he I think as he's got his tools so well dialed in. You know, I don't I don't look at it I'm not distracted by the fact that it's digital. It just looks great to me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I love he's a good example. Um, of course I've always been a big fan of my friend Pat Gleason and Pat's taken a turn towards the digital and, and I think it's been pretty effective for him now. <laughs> Pat's such a nice guy. <laughs> Every time I meet him at cons, he's just uh, yeah, he's a really cool dude, and I, I love his work because he something about his work is weird. He's not the most detailed artist, but in that respect, he knows how to make things just look so good. I don't know what it is about what he does, but he he just understands how to say a lot without having to go too deep into things. He just like oh. his Batman and Robin run with. With Tomasi, forget about it. Those guys just knocked it out of the park, man. Did you guys read his uh, his uh, Robin Son of Batman stuff? Yeah, I did. You know, it's so funny because I have a love hate relationship with Damien. And yeah, others. Yeah. And I I loved that run. You know, I gotta give I gotta give hats off to Pat, man. Like he really yep. he knows how Road, to do it. Let me tell. I'll tell you something about that run. And 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 this is this this is a. This tells you about Pat's like sensitivity and his his storytelling. I gave I gave the books to um, my son. I I think it was eight at the time, maybe, um, to read. You know, Robin, 
you know, young kid, his age, sort of. And yeah, you got the dragon, so, and he, every he's like a new adventure, and what you know. So you remember that you know those the the brothers that that were made from his DNA. You know those misfits on that island. Mm-hmm. My son read that story, and when they sacrificed themselves, my son burst into tears. He's, <laughs> oh, no. He was just crying. He says, "They can't kill him. They can't be dead." You know, he's just so heartbroken. Yeah. And then mm. I said, "Sure, Pat didn't really kill him. I promise." You know, I'll, I'll, we'll call. We'll call on <laughs> Give him a call. <laughs> you gotta change. You know, but but see, that's power. That's really part. If you can take a little kid like that, you know, who's reading comics. My son loves to read comics, and and he's reading this, and he literally. I'm not kidding. I was there. He <laughs> wailed. He burst into tears. Oh, yeah. His face because he felt such, you know, he's so compassionate, and to see these guys like sacrifice themselves for the moment, and you know how how Damien reacted to it, and um, it was just it was overwhelmingly emotional for him. And Pat's really good about it. he's really good with that kind of stuff. That's when you call Pat up and you'd be like, "You gotta bro, change this man." <laughs> no, no, no. You like, bro, you got him, man. You got him. You, <laughs> You you you're hitting right there, buddy. You did it. I don't think I've ever made anybody cry like that. <laughs> and you know, I I was just I was impressed. It very much impressed me. Mm. And and really if you were to talk to Pat about his own career, most of his art, like when he started drawing comics, he drew he drew a lot when I met him before he was even published, he'd been making his own comics. Yeah. he and a friend, his buddy Matt, went and they would just make these crazy ass comics and they would be like 60 pages long and they were crude but i could see his storytelling and his concepts and his creativity just all over this stuff and i'm when i met him it, uh i was critiquing his work you know and i said I, I looked at it and i handed him um my phone number i said give me a call when you when you want to talk about this i said it's not a matter of if if you want to work in comics, it's a matter of when you work in comics, you know, because I, I could just tell that he would do it. Mm. He's too talented and he's incredibly creative, he's way more creative than me, you know. But I've, I've, I've watched this guy grow up since he was 20, last 20 years. So hmm. uh, it's fun to watch yeah. his career. We, we'd love to talk to him if you uh, he's, he's, I could he's, put no, the he, word in. He's, um, he's coming on this year, he said. Whenever we oh, just, okay. Robin will shoot him with, maybe after this one. Super we'll, uh, busy. He's always busy. But do you think that I don't I don't even know what he's working on, but if if um Pete wanted to push for a hundred issues, do you think you would uh, you would rotate with Pat? Is would that be the plan? If they need, you know, because uh, Pat uh I think what is he working on? Young Justice right now. Oh, he's doing Young Justice. Because he had done Superman and I mean I think I think it's known. Oh yeah, it is. Um so he's penciling and inking and you know, he's I texted him earlier tonight, and he's knee deep, you know, more, yeah. more like neck deep in, in deadline and trying to get stuff done. So, um, you know, you should, if you guys wanted to get him on there, you have to catch him at a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, talking about uh, other people's work and stuff that you admire, etc., just brought to mind, I'd like to ask uh, career wise. Yeah. What is the best advice you've ever been given, and who gave you that advice? Best advice, career-wise, um, boy, that's assuming I got some. Actually, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've met good people, and I've got good direction. 
when, when I think about my career, actually, like the, the best help I got was honestly John Arcudi, you know, in terms of like turning my attention towards what good storytelling is, because I didn't have it to begin with. But John brought it out in me, you know, it, it was literally like over the course of, you know, six years, I, I learned how to do this. Um, and I worked almost exclusively with him. But once after that, once I once I landed at D.C., it has literally been nonstop. I mean, I, I've barely had a lull. And there, there are years I work, you know, I don't even know what an eight-hour day is. You know, I know what 12-hour days are. You know, I, I've just, I've been, it's like I've just been in a bubble sitting working for the past 25 years. We can see your resume is about 10 pages long. And it's almost entirely D.C. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anyone else has done that. Um, you know, has worked almost near, you know, like exclusively with them for the last quarter century. I don't think and so. Not that consistently. I wasn't exclusive to begin with, but they kept me so busy. Like I did one Marvel comic. Um, and then I think that's it. I, I can't remember stepping outside of DC in, in any way um, other than, you know, like Wildstorm. Um, but that was DC. You know, DC had bought them. Um, so, but I've, but the guys that I've known, you know, like Jeff Johns, like working with Jeff was was a great thing you know because jeff just great passion for comics and never you know when it came to the like the business side as as well like he just he gave me great advice you know he told me what to do same thing with pete tomasi because pete had been an editor you know so i you know he knew the the ins and outs of of dc editorial and you know i learned a lot you know through pete you know what what goes on there or how things go on you know, what, what expectations and, and granted things have changed a lot since I started, you know, when I first started three months in the can for everything, if you didn't, you got a call from Bob and Bob says, how come you're not, you know, do you need help? Because we'll get you help, you know, to keep you on schedule. And they, that was, you know, that was when it was actually physically harder to put comics together. You know, now that we have uh, the ability to literally work up until the last minute, like we've made art changes hours before something has gone to, you know, been sent up to Canada to, you know, to go into a rotation to be printed. Really? Wow. So we, I mean, we have, we have, because of technology, you know, especially the poor colorists, colorists are like the unsung heroes of this industry because they're expected constantly to pull the entire, the, an enormous ass out of the fire every time they're, is a deadline that's really close. You know, these guys just knock out colors like crazy. And you know they're not sleeping. You know, they're not taking that. <laughs> they, they just do it over the course of a fairly short amount of time. And, you know, they're all, you know, when you if you ever see something, you think, well, it should have looked better. You know, sometimes <laughs> you just know that, you know, some colorist has probably been, you know, his back completely, he or she up against the wall and had to, color on a vicious deadline um but you know that's you know that three month time and and the, the discipline that was part of dc when i first got there the discipline's changed you know because of technology you know now it is now that the pressure is on intensely sometimes to make sure that we stay you know above ground here and and, and get things done mm. because we can do it right up to the last minute right up to it practically 
Hmm. Which can create some pretty tense people. <laughs> you know, editorial is almost always, you know, I mean, they, they put on a good face and you're working with professionals, but, you know, they're, they're dealing with an entire different situation over there. You know, they have to deal with, you know, the executive side and, you know, why are things getting done? And, you know, if, if you know, and, artists... And why are there penises in comic books and things like that? You know? I'll tell you about that penis. <laughs> off on that. Just remember, that was already understood before. It, it, would, it was no surprise to anyone. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, you, a lot of people, you know, it is entertainment business, but the key word there is business. Yep. Well, Batman keeps lights on, too, so... You know. Oh, yeah. Indeed. Batman pays mortgages, so... <laughs> Batman's a gift that continues to give again and again and again. I think that they are, you know, the worldview, you know, maybe versus the comic view. I'm not sure if they're different. I mean, Superman is the one that, you know, when I was originally told about, you know, like character recognition, everybody know who knew who Superman was. The most recognized, one of the most recognized symbols in the world. But obviously, I think. Batman, you know, maybe has got the public note at this point. He's he's a phenomenon. Our friend Mike, who will be working for like Star Wars soon, he's yeah. worked with a lot of companies. He um in marketing and design. He he said that all year round, Batman sells for some reason. You could set up, you could go to a movie theater outside for Infinity War or a Marvel movie, and set yeah. up a stand selling Batman stuff. <laughs> and it would sell out, he, and he's like, it's just he's just a Batman's just a, a like a a constant phenomenon for some reason. Well, I mean, just yeah, everywhere you go, you can't escape some form or fashion of a Batman logo or an image and and stuff like that. You know, I'll be driving down the highway and this car will pass me, and they'll have a bat symbol logo sticker on their back window or something like that. Mm. You know, it, it's everywhere, he, and it's... He's what kept me in the game, and I, I have a few theories on it. Basic, mainly a few things, because he's human. Yep. The gadgets. Uh, Gotham City is, is gritty, sexy, and chic. A um, cool car. Cool car. Uh, there's There are things that just never get old with him, or corny. You know, he's not corny. That's another thing that's, that's yeah, big. It can be. It's, um, and there's so many different versions of him in different suits, and... Yeah. There's so much to work with that you keep rotating these different elements into Batman's mythology year after year and you know, people creating new rogues and, and whatnot and just Oh, that's what I was gonna ask you, Doug. Who's your favorite Batman rogue that you like to draw? Nice. Well, back. I mean Joker, really. Classic Joker. The great yeah. Joker, um, yeah. You know, because, hey, that's the one I've drawn the most. Just to say, um, Jokerized Leslie Tompkins was yeah. amazing. Like, Pretty freaky. Wow. Freaky, and that was that was excellent. I, and David, great David detail. Baron brought that totally to life with his colors. Jaime inked it just expertly. When I when I saw it, I was like, oh, I didn't expect it to look that good. You know, I was, I was really... Like, almost like... Martha Wayne Flashpoint Joker to the 10th power like just <laughs> wow disturbing and detailed and great like great yeah that was really good right I have to ask you guys since you're all bad fans okay so you know it's not bad underwear he doesn't wear his underwear outside it's his shorts 
it's his it's his it, that's what saves his bat hips probably you know these nice tight compression shorts that are on the outside of his 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 extremely tight kevlar suit that shows every muscle um how do you guys like going back to that i do like going back to that because i think it separates you know the 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 top i don't know i just never really caught on with the unitard look now i was this was a topic that came up in twitter and i don't know if you have ever heard or played the video games but there's a video game called arkham origins okay i don't know if we have arkham we have arkham something in the in the suit in that game i love it because it's not it's not that he's wearing the black trunks over his pants. Yeah. He's actually got a black undersuit yeah. and the gray goes over that. So that's where it causes uh -oh. separation. I see. That's how it was designed. I have to check that out. Yeah, it's it's a really cool concept of a suit and it still gives that look that <laughs> you know, there's the separation from the torso and, you know, yeah, to the legs. So I, I don't uh, the, know. I like that, but I mean, yeah, the the point where it really hit me that I liked going back to the old uh, look yeah. was the current Deathstroke run that Priest is writing. Yeah. I think it was number thirty four, where uh, Deathstroke and Batman end up fighting in the Batcave. Yeah. And because he had to, uh, Deathstroke had just found his way into the cave. So Bruce had to disappear really quickly and pop out in in a bat suit to you know so Deathstroke didn't see him as Bruce. Right. Uh, so the the fastest thing he could get to was basically Jim Lee's hush suit. Yeah. And uh, Deathstroke because his uh, current icon suit that he wears uh, had been uh, compromised, he had gone to his classic suit with like the pirate boots and everything. And just seeing the two of them in such classic looks fighting in the Batcave, I just yeah. thought, okay, yeah, this this is perfect. Yeah, let let's let's embrace the old looks. That's cool. It's good to know that's you know that's the one thing I did notice on my Instagram. A lot of people talking about, or maybe it was DCs, because um, we put up an image from nine nine four and a lot of chatter about the about the. The trunks. I love the trunks. I, I, love I, I, I dig it. I'll tell you, man. Poor Jack Daniels. And I'll tell you right now, I, I couldn't stand Jim Lee's new 52 suit, man. That design. <laughs> <laughs> and that, should, that stayed for a while. And I, uh. And then, um, was it, Robin, was it Tom King or those guys who started to bring back the year one look? Was it those guys? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lee Weeks, yeah, and all them. Yeah. They, yeah. Was, they were doing that and the trunks and all that. And, and I dig and, it, man. Uh, and, uh, Born as doing uh, some of those Batman titles too, where it looks like you're, it looks like you're looking at David Mavakelli's work. Yeah. In regards to that, it's you, you know it's funny these you, like you know Doug, you and and all these uh, handful of other great comic book artists could, I think, can almost make anything look good. It doesn't even matter because um, I seen I seen I couldn't stand the new Fifty Two suit. Yeah. But then you had like Jason Fabok to his version. Oh I'm yeah. Like, damn <laughs> you know like, he made it look good so he's you know. a crack artist what do you prefer uh you know i mean 
I'm just a professional, you know. I just whatever a paycheck. I we got it. <laughs> I do, I'm gonna try. Like I'm gonna try to make it look good. Yeah. I I think it's pretty cool to to do the the classic look. Um, interesting enough, like with the new Fifty Two look, you know, it was very specific to begin with, and then just people just fucked with it everywhere you turned. The, you know, no uh, paid attention to the actual lines and things like that. Dude, like the, the belt, you know, those cheap steel watches you get with the expandable wrist the steel expandable wrists remember those? that's what the utility yeah. belt looked like I'm like oh the design was just not that great but yeah you're right there yeah. artist renditions of it they really yeah do make it, it just changed constantly you yeah. know there's no no consistent i mean semi-consistent you know in the end people would just hone in on a few different characteristics but it was often you know it was it was it was played with right and left so it's nice to go back to something that is quite predict predictable at any moment for any artist i love how lenient things got over time especially now in terms of renditions because um there was a time when you were not allowed to draw any movie batmobile in a comic book like the 89 batmobile or the dark knight uh you know the uh the nolan yeah. verse, but now you're able to do that you anything like Tom King's Batmobile is a hybrid of animated series and like thirty, like the nineteen forties Batmobile. So, it's kind of cool to see how they've kind of, you know, gave more a little, little more creative freedom in terms of those kind of things to artists when uh, depicting this kind of work. Yeah, it's anyway. nice to be able to pull in different, you know, just different stuff that, because let's face it, you know, fans there are fans across different parts of this. You know, they're to see things all come together and be able to use it. You know, it's more of a, that's obviously a better experience for fans than anybody. That is, yeah, we, we really get a kick out of it. The lightning round. In the three years we've been doing the podcast, you're actually the most qualified person to answer this, this oh, question. Oh, legendary question. <laughs> yeah, so, that's uh, so true. What, what's your favorite brand of soap? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's a curveball. <laughs> <laughs> Irish Spring. Irish Spring, all right. Irish. Classic. No, actually, <laughs> actually. <laughs> this is the one question that, and I don't know how we came up with this, but. No, it was the Shags with the deadlift. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, right. Doug, we've actually kind of been waiting for you to come on the show because you actually can. Actually, answer this question. <laughs> answer this question. How, how much do you deadlift? Deadlift? All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you more than just deadlift. At the okay, moment, okay. I don't. I'm right. Do, hold on. Let me write, let me this, write down. this down. <laughs> These are the things that I've done. I've, I've, as far as the most I've ever deadlifted, um, uh, 525 pounds. Uh, I never tried more than that. Fuck, that's like five prime ones, Robin. Okay. <laughs> Holy shit! Now, <laughs> using wrist wraps, right? No, no, I don't no, use it. Okay, let me. I don't use belt. I don't use wrist wraps. No, no wrist. If I choose, um, I, I, I haven't worn a belt since I was, I think, twenty years old. Hurt my back doing it, so I never wore one again. You hurt your back wearing a belt? Yeah. Yeah. Doing heavy squat. Okay. All right, so we got deadlift five twenty-five. Okay, so best deadlift is five twenty-five, I think. Wow. Uh, never, because because when I was twenty, I torched my back. Uh, and so it's, it was touchy for a good portion of my life. So I, I'm kind of careful about that. So I don't, I don't try to pursue super heavy weight with that. Um, 
My best back squat would be 500 for a triple. So uh, let's see, my probably the, the biggest. Let's see, my, that, my that's best. That's no belt. That's best, no belt, right? No, no belt. Damn, dude. Best okay. bench press is somewhere around, I think it was 430. 430. Best incline press, 375. Um, though the, the thing that probably stands out, and you guys wouldn't know unless you, you regularly lift weights, I, I did a standing press. So I was, you know, like standing on my two feet with a bar in my hands, crossed my shoulders, pressed. 300 over my head and then as a as an olympic lifter i got a cat who's going freaking out that cat is lifting right now bro. <laughs> I, uh, my, my best clean and jerk is um 300 and i think it's 337 oh, three three what 337 oh seven 37 okay 337 yeah and then my best competition. Let's see, that'd be my best competition clean and jerk. Though as a as a, do you guys know what power clean is? Yeah. Okay, power clean from the floor, you know, into a semi power position. At forty three, I power clean three hundred and twenty four pounds. Wow. There's probably not too many guys my age Damn. in the nation who can come close to that. Especially. Uh, not ones who make a living drawing funny books. No, no. there's not too many artists combined that could probably do any of those. <laughs> guys out there, you'd, you'd be surprised. There's some strong, but my specific talent is putting weight over my head. Yeah. So, I, um, you know. And how do you use this power for good? It's <laughs> just in that chair. If so, makes you more explosive. Real, Dude, do, do, do you know do you know Greg Capullo? Are you friends with Greg? Uh, I've I probably met Greg over the years. I know that he lifts weights and stuff. Yeah, probably not as intent like like you, but well, I mean, he, he, he probably has a different focus. I mean, my my focus is always no, he, strength and power. Yeah, and I like the, I, I love Greg, but Greg Greg works the glamour muscles. Yeah, yeah, you know, he probably does a better job having referenceable body than mine. Um. But I um, but I still compete. So I com I've compete in the open as well as masters. I've been, I didn't start Olympic lifting because I'd, I'd already been lifting for years, and I started Olympic lifting when I was thirty eight. So in my forties, I've been Minnesota state champion. Um, <laughs> you live I, in Minnesota now. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm uh, I'm national masters champion, uh, American masters champion. I took second in. Uh, 2003 in the World Masters Championships. Um, I'm a state, as far as Masters list is concerned, I'm a state record holder as well as a national record holder. Mm. So I'm pretty good at this stuff. Yeah, I love how that cat always times its meows, like right after you say something. It's kind of like he's going, hell yeah. And you're like, <laughs> you know, I'm state champion. <laughs> hell yeah. No, what he's really saying is that guy, who cares how much he lifts? He's not feeding right now. <laughs> no, I just love to lift weights. I always have. I mean, I started when I was 17. I've never stopped. I did martial arts before then. And did a little bit after. But what, what just, were your, I just, uh, was really good at it. The first time I lifted weights, I was... The very first time I, I ever lifted weights, when I laid down, I, I was about 160 pounds. Well, 
for a bench press. I, I, I benched 235 the first time I tried it. Um, and I deadlifted 400 the first time I tried it. But I was a real athletic guy, you know, so I wasn't like sitting around on my butt. I was, I was busy doing stuff. So can, can we get Tomasi to work some of this into <laughs> the books? Like, you know, I mean, because, I mean, some of these motions that you're doing require explosion and, and pop-up and, and strength and stuff like that. you got to, man, you got to get some of this into the books. Uh, it comes, it, you, you see it every time you read a book. It's, it's, <laughs> it, this is what keeps me sane. Okay. All right. I mean, just a meathead. I just love it. I mean, I like the lift weights. Nobody, happy. nobody else can spring out of their chair and get to the front door quite like you can. I bet with that explosive oh, oh, you technique. See me the day after I've had a heavy squat session or something. That's how he picks up his comps because I mean he's got twenty years, twenty plus years of experience, like, man. Do, do you like run or anything like that, or are you just straight up lift and? Uh, I, might, I might run if something's chasing me. Or, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not good at jogging. I never do. Power, power thing is cardio in itself sometimes. I like to sprint. Yeah. So yeah. I always liked explosive stuff. You know, I was good at jumping. I was good. I had a good vertical. What's your vertical? Just I had baby hands. Can but you dunk? I think, I think I couldn't get a basketball to stay in my hand to save my life. Oh, if you glued oh. that basketball to my hand, then I could have <laughs> dunked. But yeah. it, it, you know, yeah, I could get I could get over the rim. I had oh, something. Oh, shit. I got it. 36 vertical. 36 vertical. Yeah, that's, that's what uh, Olympic lifting will do. We're gonna we're gonna put all these stats in our in our promo for this podcast. When one year of track and field in ninth grade, I, I beat the shot put record with my first throw. <laughs> but you see how far was that? How far was that? I don't know. All the guy did was that ten ten was that a ten pound uh, put or a twelve yeah. pound? I don't remember. Was, I don't know what ninth graders used. <laughs> so you know, I never, I never really got to do anything in track and field. I started working after that. You know, yeah. I was, a, I was a kid with a job. Your immune system must be like Kryptonian at this point, though. What were your disciplines in martial arts? Yeah, it's good. I, I started off with this thing called Pai Tai Long Kung Fu. I mean, it's Kung Fu. It was some kind of. It didn't matter what it was. It was at the Y, and I could get there in five minutes. You know, it could have been anything. Um, so that's what got me started. And then, um, I, I did that for years and then later on, much later on, and I always trained when I, I even though I, I stopped at some point, I kept training. So, you know, I have a heavy bag in my, in my garage and gym and an, an entire area to, to work out in. Um, and, but later on, um, my, my wife, when she was going to the university of Minnesota, she joined the Taekwondo club and, for some reason, I was able to go over there and train with them. Maybe I was taking a class or something. So I did Taekwondo for a while. And, and how that, much does she deadlift? My wife? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Man. Oh, that would be a good guy. I'll have to ask her that because I'm sure it's not very much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, another off-the-wall question. What's your go-to karaoke song? Um, Joy, good question. Uh, what should it be? Um, if, if, if there was a karaoke version of uh, Rooster, I, I, I did make that. Oh, with Alice in Chains. Nice. Oh, yeah. You know why? Because here I've been against it. De- there have been times where during deadlines, 
you know, like I'm just getting my ass kicked. And I will play Rooster again and again and again, you know, um, just because that line, you know, ain't found a way to kill me yet. Yeah. You can't throw. Yeah. Other than that, you know, hey, Sinatra tunes. I'm, I'm, my voice is more suited for that. Have you? Did you watch that uh, TV show, The Masked Singer, the other night? No. I don't like these singing competition shows, but this is the premise is they get uh, celebrity as a, some type of notoriety yeah. to dress up in like these spirit animal costumes. And these costumes <laughs> are like, you know, avant garde. Who the hell thinks it is? Well, they got this from Korea. Yeah. Uh, and, and they have to sing this song, and then the they have a panel of judges and the audience to, you know, it's a singing competition between two two contestants, but then they also have to say, "We think you're this person. We think yeah. this person is." So, who would your spirit animal be if you went on this show? Oh my gosh! <laughs> spirit, like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> 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 He's got to be the mass singer on this on this show. I mean, they had like they had like a, a deer, a unicorn. You I, would, be a I would say gorilla. it'd be that cat, the chattering. <laughs> oh, this is what I would be. I'd be a rabbit. 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 I'll tell you why. A big, ass, was, big was, ass rabbit. I was, born in a, <laughs> okay. I was born in the year of the rabbit. Like I missed. Like if I oh, went okay. the year before, it would have been the year of the dragon. And so yeah. all my life, goons, come on, buddy. Make me just a stop right. <laughs> That cat's getting it. Ass kicked. <laughs> She's gonna deadlift the crap in like. <laughs> <laughs> right. What is that? <laughs> it wasn't having any patience. So I was born in the year of the rabbit, missed the year of the dragon. So all my life I was like, God, you're the rabbit. That's just not very cool. And then and then we got a rabbit for a pet. And I realized, you know, these little suckers are pretty tough. You know, oh, they they'll are. fight for their position. Oh, they'll low maintenance. Just, just a quick thing. Um, Joe Rogan pulled up a video about a snake that attacked one of a, ra- a rabbit's kids. Yeah. And the rabbit went apeshit on the snake. Like, you would never think a rabbit could do something like that. But they are fucking tough, man. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, dude. They're not just some little fluffy creature. No, Bugs Bunny. Up there. <laughs> if, you've ever, if you've ever held a rabbit... And it decides like it wants to jump off of you with, the, with those legs. You you aren't holding that thing. Yeah, they no. can dunk. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and being um, bit by a rabbit, it's not pleasant. So it sounds like you've moved around or grew up in different places. You know, during your yep. uh, childhood and stuff like that, and probably familiar with the local cuisine. But if you're familiar with Chicago deep dish pizza which do you prefer chicago style deep dish or like a thin crust new york style pizza well depends on if you want to die young mm-hmm. <laughs> chicago deep dish. i mean in gino's east and stuff like that i mean you go there and eat and it's it's an experience and those things are dense you know you 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 get a lot for for the pizza that's a lot of cheese a lot of everything <laughs> um it might it might it's a gift that we'll keep giving for <laughs> <We're> expelling. <laughs> well, really at this point in my life, it's probably more thin. 
yeah, you know, I just just for survival. But <laughs> you know, I mean, cheese is great, but you don't have to give me like pounds of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How do you eat your Oreo cookies? Do you twist them apart and lick, lick the cream <laughs> filling, or do you just dunk it in the milk and just go? Okay. I was thinking about that today. I was having some Oreos, and I was like, man, you know, I want to know how Doug eats a eats an Oreo. Come on, really? You guys drink milk? You guys don't drink milk, do you? No. No. That's no. Um, uh, so my Oreo, let's see. I'd probably eat the Oreo whole. I don't know if I would twist it apart, you know. I think you need a bit of, to make any of that thing, you know, like. The That's inst- what sissies do, right? We just eat it whole. We just put it's it in there. Itself, it's just like it. a bunch of lard sugar type stuff. And, you know, if I had to throw some part of the cookie away, I'd be the inside anyway. Okay. Which is your favorite type of cookie, an Oreo or a chocolate chip? Chocolate chip. The, the chocolate chip, man. Uh, <laughs> nice. Chocolate. I'll tell you why. I mean. Because my mother made great chocolate chip cookies. Oh, yeah, homemade. They're my, you know, they're my, they're they are my, I don't know, my kryptonite. Like uh-huh. when I have to, if I have to drop, like right now, I have to drop, you know, like about eight pounds for a comp that I want to do. I got to get down to. You got some holiday weight on you, or just? <laughs> Actually, what it is is, I got I got three kids that have birthdays within four days of each other. Ooh. Each one has a cake. And I can like, <laughs> but uh, chocolate chip cookies. I mean, <clears throat> I used to like tell my wife, I said, yeah, I think, you know, I got to go on a diet. I got to lose some weight. And then by within two hours, she's made a batch of chocolate chip cookies. Like my mother used to make. Mine does that too. Chocolate chip. My, my wife does that too. And she only wants one cookie of a whole bunch. <laughs> But she's got this recipe that makes four dozen, and I'm like, why do you do this? Because everyone loves the chocolate chip. <laughs> they do. Yeah. I think it's a it's 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 between. I think that's a Texas thing. Peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. and sandwich. I mean that that's probably like my my kids said, Dad, if you were gonna have your last meal, if you were gonna die, <laughs> what what would you order? What would you want to eat? I says, I'll have peanut butter and jelly sandwich and chocolate chip. That's what I'd probably have. You know, that, that reminds me of something like Anthony Bourdain said where, you know, this guy's had the best food from all over the freaking globe. And he's like, but nothing beats like a Kraft macaroni and cheese. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> that. It's kind of like that mindset, you know, just, yeah. yeah keep it I don't need, I don't need to be pampered. You know, that, those, those, that stuff hits you in the childhood. Mm, yeah. It tastes good. Hell yeah. Mm. I don't think I would have been eating it for 50 plus years if I didn't think it tasted good, that's for sure. Well, what about, speaking of that then, as far as M&Ms are concerned, do you like, would you go with the plain or the peanut? Um, peanut probably at this point. I was probably a plain M&M eater for a good portion of my life, but as I gravitated slightly away from more sweet stuff, adding a peanut kind of cuts the sweetness. <laughs> or just sheds, skins a little guilt off, just a little. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's make no mistake. All those, all that does is add more fat to the, you know, more calories to the, mm. to the food. You know, I don't. I, I'm pretty sure those peanuts have more in them than that little bit of chocolate ever did. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. What a pretzel. Now, if you could have dinner and some drinks 
with one person throughout history, dead or alive, anyone you could choose, who would it be? Uh, I'll give a couple of answers. Okay. Because probably the first would be... Uh, be anyone throughout history, any human being throughout history. My grandmother. No, I miss her. She died in 1985. She's a profoundly wonderful person. Mm. But the, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, oh, yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. That guy just opened my eyes to so much stuff. When And you know what? I I discovered Bruce Lee right at, right after he died. Yeah. Like, they'd put out some, you know, like, I can't remember what I saw. Maybe his master, or the, like, they'd, Marvel was doing some big Kung Fu Digest type comic or something. And they did articles on Bruce Lee, or I don't know where it, I think that's where I heard of it. And like, right, you know, right, I, I've learned about Bruce Lee or something. And, and, and all of a sudden I find out he's dead. So I think, whoa, you know, this guy is like a living superhero to me. Yeah. Like amazing superhero, yeah. Yeah. you know, like totally before his time, you know. He's, he's, he's a philosopher too. He's great. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and just, uh, just the, the physicality and just, just amazing. Mm. And, and, uh, and I'll tell you a little story to go along with it because I was, I think it was when I was turning 12, something like that. I could get it, but it's going to be around there. And Enter the Dragon had come and gone, you know. <clears throat> and, you know, you get your information back then in the newspaper. And so, you know, I was always looking in the newspaper for something that would, that I wanted to. It's, it's like I had this feeling eventually, like, Enter the Dragon would just come back. I don't know. Like, they didn't do that with movies. And, one day it's, you know, I open the newspaper and it just blows my mind. There's a, I lived in Prairie Village, Kansas at the time. And someplace in Kansas City, a, a, a cinema was showing Enter the Dragon. So Enter the Dragon along with uh, a movie called Hot Potato um, um, by, um, oh gosh, Jim Kelly. Um, anyway, so I just, mom. I, this is what I want to do. This is all I want to do for my birthday. I want to go see this movie. <laughs> okay? And so she agrees. I get to take, uh, I think it was four friends went with me. And so here we are. My mother drives, you know, down into the, and it's, it's not a nice place in the middle of the city here, you know. And, and so she goes up and she, uh, she goes, because it's an R-rated film and we're 12. I don't think she asked the parents if it was okay for them to go see it, you know. I guess it was just assumed that once we were there, everyone's watching this movie. And the uh, um, the guy says, no, lady, it's rated R. You got to go with them. So my mother bought a ticket and she brought a book in and the uh, hot potato started. It was a film before End of the Dragon and it was great. And so she comes down and she whispers, she goes, I'll be back for you guys later. So she <laughs> and so it was like five little white kids. And and uh, and maybe like I don't know like a dozen uh, African American gentlemen, and we had literally the best time of our life. I mean, we were just yelling at the screen. We had just an astonishing experience just watching this movie. You know, first the first movie just got us totally keyed up. I mean, we could say whatever we want. There was no one else in the theater. We were just yelling and just just. Of course, there was a little bit of TNA in there. You know, just a little. And us, us little boys, you know, we're just like, oh, 
<laughs> my mom knew this was in here, but here I am. And uh, it was such a memorable occasion. So memorable, in fact, in that single viewing of Enter the Dragon, I memorized the entire film dialogue, all of the dialogue. I knew the film from front to back. It made mm. that much of an impact on me. Wow. And it was, to this day, I can quote a tremendous amount of it. I can't get it in order anymore. It's not like it's all that dialogue heavy, you know. Yeah. But I did. I just, I watched it one time and it just filled my brain. It was like all that was left in there was Enter the Dragon. Have you ever watched that with your own kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had censored a little bit for the, my younger ones, but. Yeah. Um, my, my, <laughs> I have, a, I have a, a younger daughter named Angela and like she's, you know, I used to show her stuff on Bruce Lee and, uh, you know, like uh, people had made like a Bruce Lee uh, music thing. I, I can't even remember what it's called, but she knew it and she, <laughs> she has a card that says Angela on it. It's like Bruce Lee fan club and all this stuff. Mm. So my kids have, my kids have, but they, you know, nobody has the appreciation for it the way I do. Right. Know? never gonna happen mm. i mean that's that's what my my youth was made out of right it is so much i tried to do everything that bruce lee did i could do push-ups on my fingers on my thumbs snatch a penny out of people's hands you know so i like practice all this crap mm. um but of course i wasn't bruce lee as much as like i would go to bed and i'd say god if, if, you, if you can hear me you know just when i wake up if you could just make me bruce lee in the morning <laughs> When I wake up, it's like, no, I'm not Bruce Lee. What the hell? What did you um, think about that movie? That I think that came out in the 90s, uh, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Did you, think yeah, you know what? I would take almost anything I can get except some of the really cheap-ass, you know, Bruce Lee knockoff stuff. Um, that was with Jason, what was his name? Uh, Jason Lee. His name yeah, was Jason had, Lee. Was his name Jason Lee? I think so. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, he was like as like kind of like his audio like documentary kind of movie. Yeah, kind of loose. You know, they're they're all kind of loose, but yeah. <laughs> anytime something real Bruce Lee gets, you know, like now so many like photographs are released that were never released before. I, I'm just a fan. I mean, if I'm a fan of any single person, it was Bruce Lee. There's so much lore behind him and his son as well, Brandon Lee, who was like yeah. the crow and all that. It's just so oh, yeah. much I just, lore. The, with one of my other kids and you know it's, it's such a powerful film and to realize what happened during the filming of that it's just heartbreaking you know yeah. to realize deal with these these two men dying in this these these circumstances that i don't know it's brandon especially yeah. you know his career was just ready you know he'd found his niche he was just ready to launch it such such a great i, I love that movie too when i was yeah. growing up oh, watching it was such a big deal especially when it happened and the movie came out it was like changed our childhood you know, just, you know. yeah it was mind-blowing it was like how could that happen and yeah. this is what we left and you know and just uh that film is really well done and but especially really well cast i yeah. think that's what makes it even better as far as like ne neo-noir genre yeah. and film that that movie is just so timeless. It's just something about it. It's just so perfect. I, ne I never watched the one that came after that. I just, it wasn't Brandon. Lee, no, so. I don't watch those. Either. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I just, Bruce Lee was in it, man. So if you could have any one superpower, what would it be? <laughs> My kid just asked me this tonight. And I said, 
Why? He said he wants to be Bruce Lee, man. That, that's the superpower. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, I told him flight. I think flight. that flight would be awesome. Yeah. Flight would be you know, awesome. Uh, just because. So many, so many raiders and artists say uh, <laughs> control over time. So they can meet <laughs> deadlines. Yeah. <laughs> if I have control over time, the last thing I'm going to do is worry about my deadlines. <laughs> I'm going to do something else with it. I'm just going to time it just the right way with the right you know, investment or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I think flying is like something that seems really, I don't know, that would be pleasant. You know, I, I live out in the country and to, you know, to see eagles soaring way up there is, yeah. you, know, you just know that those guys got the best look. The, they get to down there on that earth and they can see stuff from miles away. They say like anyone who skydived before truly understands the term like free as a bird, like when you're yeah. up there, so... I'm not one of them. You guys skydive? Not no. yet. Not yet. I but yeah. I, I would. We're all going to as a Bat like... Force group when they were all going to get an airplane. Oh, yeah. Tom's going to be the yeah. first one out. Like, ready to go. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Jesus Christ. <laughs> hey, hey, if Tom King and Scott Snyder and Jim Lee could scale the fucking, was it, the CN Tower in uh, Toronto? Or what was it? Yeah, but they're not jumping off it. <laughs> Yeah, they, they all did that roof walk. But uh, Jim Lee does all kinds of skydiving and crazy stuff. Yeah. Have you guys seen he's the... little. <laughs> he's he's right. not as high up. He's compact. Yeah. Compact. <laughs> you guys see those wingsuits and those guys who, you know, like. Yeah, yeah that's like Wiley Coyote shit right there. Like, you know, the needle and that stuff. That stuff is mind blowing. They got like yeah. those hydro jetpacks too now and all sorts oh, of. Oh, yeah. They're starting to finally make the stuff that I thought would have been around years ago. You know, when I was a kid, we thought all this stuff would already be around. I think, I think like, maybe, hopefully, maybe another 20, 10, 20 years, we might have, they might have something where humans could fly with some kind of device attached to them and relatively safe, I suppose, you know, but. Yeah, that's the problem. Can you make it safe? Yeah. Well, then there's human error too that you got to factor in, which is always yeah. pain. Yeah. They're already working on or developing uh, like flying Uber cars. They're wanting <laughs> that's the next thing that they're wanting to do. Yeah, they also testing those um, those crafts that go into space, like for wealthy people could take a little tour into outer space and whatnot too. It's just all. All kinds yeah. of crazy things going on when money's fueled. It's funny how they're that. doing that when when we actually have never gone into space ever before, considering the flat Earth theory. Well, it's on the flat the Earth. Yeah, right. I flat Earth. put up uh, no the donut theory. First year, like the donut. <laughs> donut theory. Well, Dunkin' Donuts were the first ones in I space. I didn't click on the link. I thought, oh, donut theory, huh? Afraid of the truth, Doug? Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah. I'm so sorry we took up so much of your time speaking about <laughs> things like cookies and penises. You, you totally, you totally filled in my evening. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I had more fun than I was expecting. I, I was yeah. a... that, that's what we go for. <laughs> uh, I love Doug's uh, weightlifting cat. To be honest with you, that guy's just pumping iron in the background. <laughs> it's a badass cat. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for the time being here. Uh, anyone who isn't already reading Detective Comics, you absolutely need to be doing so. This is uh, this is the Batman we all know in look and feel, so you're missing out if you're not reading it. Good people of Gotham, this is Bat Force Tom's wife. Thank you for listening to Bat Force Radio. 
Now will you take the trash out? Fine, God, do it now. Hey, Gotham dwellers, make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs.